0: computer so jason cohen welcome how are you i'm great glad to have you here um i need to ask once again how are you but like besides the the how should i call this the polite way of saying it we've we've just been through a very weird year and half a year and we're still undergoing it looks like there's a light at the end of a tunnel so um first of all i need to make sure you've been okay during all this time and how how are you coping with with the weird situation out there
1: Oh yeah, I mean, uh, I think few people are actually doing great and feel uh, um, and and feel unstressed and and totally great. I think it's funny because I believe at the beginning introverts were thinking, "Yes, finally we get to do what we want to do," and then they're like, "Wait, I take it back. Like, I still want to go to restaurants. <laughs> I want to see people sometimes." Okay, I take it back. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not that introverted, <laughs> you know. So, uh, uh, I think we we've done so much, um. We've talked to our, our own employees so much about what's going on with them, uh, how are they handling things, what could be better for them, not just things like what kind of tools would be good, or what, uh, but, but also like if we do, when we do come back to the office, what should that be like? We're renovating our entire office in Austin, for example, to change how the spaces work in response to that. So I think... <clears throat> On, on the one hand, if it, it, it does feel a little better to be attacking the problem or working on the problem, that feels good because it feels like you're taking some kind of action. But meanwhile, you know, we're still at home and everything's scary and you can't eat at a restaurant and and uh, uh, I think everyone's in the same boat.
0: Yeah, I oh, know. I get that. I get that. So it's been it's been I'm not going to reiterate the classic newspaper or TV station stuff of it's been a weird year. But um, I just start with this because, you know, it's it's Twitter and it's PR releases, but it's during this time. So you don't know what's happening, actually, behind the scenes. And it's quite easy to have a public persona, but um, glad to know you're you're well. So um um I need to start by asking uh, what's happening in the world of Jason Cohen these days um I, I I'm sure you've heard this before but um I, I think it's it speaks highly of you to um have had the, I know you talked about this at length before when you made a decision to as a founder not be a CEO anymore and um it, once again, you've explained before why you've done that, but I, I want to take just a quick uh, couple of seconds to congratulate you for, first of all, talking about this such tra- with such transparency because it, it shows what's going on for your mind. So I see I see power behind that. So um, we have this idea of you see the CEO of a company WP Engine, you expect stuff to be on fire all the time. I'm sure not everything is calm in your world because I guess that's when you're chairman or when you're stepping away from the company no nothing's
1: ever come there's there's none of that you know and and everyone who's had any size business knows that the idea is like oh, I'll hire someone and then such such and such will become easier or I'll have less stress or other people will do that and that's never how it works right it's always there's more problems and it's harder and the problems may change somewhat uh, especially as as you get to ten and then a hundred and a thousand people perhaps the problems change but it's never like not stressful or not a lot of stuff to do that never happens
0: so what's happening in the world of Jason Cohen these days or the last, few months or this well right now i'm running
1: our latest and newest product line at wp engine so i started wp engine 11 years ago we're now we now have about 170,000 customers about a thousand employees and you can imagine uh lots of everything lots of revenue lots of challenges you know lots of everything right and uh um so we we have a, a new product line for headless websites, which if you're not technical, just is a new architecture that web developers are using to build modern websites and uh, so anyway, so we have a new product that addresses that new technology and I'm running that so it's exciting because on the one hand it's new, everything's ambiguous and 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 uh, you know you have to figure everything out and there's 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 no like prior art to go look at especially in wordpress and in our, in our area <clears throat> and so in that way it's like a startup or it's entrepreneurial i should say but in many ways, it's not like a startup um, in that well, we have all these customers to sell to. We have a brand, a brand and reputation. We have a global sales and marketing force that we can uh, that we can leverage. We have a lot more people in product and engineering and UX and so forth than we would have had. So there's high expectations on on like how well that product should do. But there's also a lot of materiel, you might say, to go do it with. Um, and at the same time it is a new product it's not a mature product like our main business and so um, so there is so it's this funny thing where it's not a startup but it has uh, uh, it has the ambiguity of a new product and so it's an interesting different challenge from a, a bootstrap company or a funded company a, you know a, a new product within an established company is yet another kind of challenge
0: so like a mini startup within this bigger uh, not startup, these this bigger companies. This Yeah, al-
1: although you know, I, I said that at the beginning of the project, that this is like a startup within the company. But the more we do it, the more I realize that's not right. It is, it, again, it is right in these specific ways like, well, before you have customers, you don't know anything and you're doing all this kind of stuff that you would do, um, that anyone would do with a new product. But again, because of all those um, assets that we have to bring to bear, people and, and technology and brand and you know, going go to market stuff and so forth that makes it not a startup like a startup has none of those things and yet we do and we have higher expectations a startup you might say hey like if you if you can just get to 10k in revenue and, and 10k in mrR that's a great start you can quit your day job you can you know maybe invest in some stuff um, if you can get to 10 you can probably get to 20 and now now you've got a company going you know that's not our attitude. Our attitude is like oh we've got to be making millions of dollars, multiple millions of dollars in the first year or else what are we doing? you know on the other hand, we have all these uh, uh, all these assets again to bring to bear uh, on that problem. So all of that's not like a startup. So I feel like there's ambiguity like that for a new product, yes, but the rest of it's not like a startup at all and and uh, and that's been interesting to navigate.
0: I know you said that before you said it in a way nicer way but it sounded something like to put it bluntly if we make something and it makes just a million or two a year so what like that's that's not that i mean it's a great thing generally but within wp engine it won't help too too much and i think that's kind of like the discussion that's these days or in the last few years with big tech where where amazon or apple or a company at that size they can't really get into something unless it's a couple hundred million. Uh, a year otherwise it just won't make sense for them and their. yeah i
1: mean it's uh well th- they're another category in size um I-, I think one way to look at it is just um a percentage of the company so like if you invest all this time and effort in teams and whatever and it it, it, it you grow two percent i think we can all agree like that's probably not worth it like if you're going to invest all that time and effort it needs to be in something that at least potentially has a higher upside. I mean, things can fail, of course, and the yeah. bigger the risk, the more likelihood of failure. But that's why the potential has to be a lot bigger than that to, to take on that. Um, I think so. So the the really big companies like a Microsoft or Google, like you said, yes. On the one hand, that's that's sort of true. But on the other hand, there is some amount of money where no matter how big you are, it matters. So like a hundred million dollar product line matters to any company on earth. Um, like you may be worth two trillion, like Google, or. 100 billion or $1 billion, $100 million product line is uh, is interesting. So Microsoft, for example, does have product lines that are, quote, unquote, just a couple hundred million, which on a percentage basis doesn't qualify, right? But it still does matter um, at, at, at some point. But I mean, it, I think you can you can scale this back down. I mean, if you have 10K in, in MRR, your question for yourself is, how do I get to 15? How do I get to 20? And so if you were to like spend weeks and weeks on something, which even potentially could only move it by $500 of MRR, you wouldn't do it. So, it's, you know, percentage-wise, that's just logical. So yeah, we're at a point where a couple million um, is, is not even a percentage of revenue. And so it's like, oh, well, that's obviously, then we can't afford to spend time on that stuff. We need things that are riskier, but have a higher upside. That's what we need to do. And, and, yeah. and again, that's what any company needs to do. That's, you just have to scale it to the, your size.
0: We're talking now very far, like at that end of the spectrum, but let's switch gears to the other the other half of the spectrum. Um, I know you talked before about bootstrap companies. I'm curious about something about you, which is you've had IT watchdogs and uh, smart bear before, and uh, you see entrepreneurs who are serial makers, as they like to call themselves. They keep making. They say, you know, I might not be doing a company that is worth uh, whatever, nine, 10 digits, but that's fine with me because I just like keep to keep making stuff. Of course you kept making stuff in a sense, like three companies, you didn't just get Mm -hmm. one and you said, I'm dying with this, I'm taking this to the grave or until the company dies. Right. But you're sticking with, with WP engine. Is it a change of priorities? Is it that thing that the older you get, the more you become like yourself? Um, you strike me as both a serial maker, a, a p- person who likes making stuff, mm. and somebody who keeps going right now with this last project, WP Engine, all the way.
1: Sure. So, 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 uh, WP Engine was also bootstrapped. So I was. You, you're exactly right. I had just this pattern of bootstrapping companies. They happen to be reasonably successful, and and uh, <clears throat> so WP Engine was just another one. Yeah. That was the original idea. And then what happened is about 18 months into it, it became obvious through being in the market and selling product, that's what I mean by becoming obvious, that, oh my gosh, the opportunity here is really, really big. Like the other ideas and, and the previous companies, they were fine, but this actually has the potential of becoming very big. Now that doesn't mean you got to go do it. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to raise money and go big. There's no requirement, but it was possible. That's interesting because most businesses... um, most businesses have some niche and some, uh, it's best for some set of people, or um, there's sort of this natural size of the product or the organization that's just happy and healthy and good. And typically, that's not enormous. I, I actually don't think enormous is a natural state. You know, we have all this data around like, well, people don't know how to remember each other's names after 150 and all these magic numbers and stuff. We already know all that stuff. Yeah. The point is, like, I don't think it's natural for humans to be like, Um, Yeah, naturally, we should be thousands of people working together. Like, no, it's like really hard to do that, probably because it's unnatural. Whereas working together with three people on a startup, you don't need any structure. Uh, Right, exactly, because we kind of know how to do that already. (laughs) Right? Like, I I think it is unnatural to do that. Um, So... I think it stands to reason that that would be the case. There's also just so many niches where you can get to a million revenue, 5 million revenue, 20 million revenue, but getting to a hundred just doesn't make sense for that niche. That niche is not that big. And so to shoot for that, you're going to fail, (laughs) but only because you picked a goal that that was unrealistic or unreasonable or just a bad idea. And if you had, for example, bootstrapped instead of raising money and built a business that was doing 10, 20 million a year, you would be happier. Business would be more successful, profitable customers too. Like That's probably better. And I think most products and businesses are like that. And surely most of the ones that I built have been like that too. Now, every once in a while, there's some kind of combination of like, wow, this product at this time in this market, blah, 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 this really could be big, like for real, not, str- not a, a, a stretch because you want to be in tech crunch, but because no, really, this is a big opportunity. And WP Engine appeared to be that way. And of course now in hindsight, uh, cause that was 2011 that we uh, first raised money. So obviously it's been 10 years. So we know that's right. <laughs> you know, now we can say that, but it really was, oh, okay, this, this could be that. So then it came down to a personal question. Is that a path I wanna go down? Cause like we just said, there's, it's not obvious that that's a good idea. And the reason I decided to do it um, was kind of what you said, I, maybe it's getting older, it's hard to say cause you can't run the experiment at different points in your life. So I, I don't know, right? But I do know I felt like, well, it's rare to have an opportunity that can be that big. It will be a different journey to do that, meaning different kinds of goals, different kinds of constraints, because suddenly money is less of a constraint like it is in bootstrapping, but the expectations are high, unlike they are in bootstrapping. Okay, so it's different goals and constraints, right? Um, So it'll be a different journey in that sense. And uh, I'll be able to have a bigger team, and now I have a kid, and that changes how I think about work and home. And... So that like this combination of home life and uh, and and a new journey and whatnot, I I thought yeah like that actually makes sense. Even so, we only raised a million to start with. I say only because like now it is a pre 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 seed or whatever the hell they call it now. <laughs> I mean I don't know why they keep doing that, but okay, uh, you know it c- can be much more than that. So we raised just a little bit. Um, that was in kind of in sync with. Was our revenue and growth rate like, in other words, a very reasonable, responsible amount? We weren't selling our soul to get it. We didn't have to have crazy terms to get it. Um, but it, but it was enough to change the. I mean, anyone who, who's bootstrapping knows. I mean, even a hundred grand probably is substantial, but a million is like wow. Like if I can just hire two people and try a couple of more marketing campaigns with a little bit more money and still have powder dry, that would really help, right? Like so, I think I think anyone could can see, could could agree that something between half a million to you know a million is is it helps any bootstrap company right just with cash flow and and, and placing a couple of bets and so so it w- it was impactful anyway point is we, we it was not it was not like some crazy move it was more it was a big decision to go one path or the other that's true um now your train is on a different track for sure cuz expectations are different um and, but we didn't like ruin our cap table or do anything strange that way to, to make expectations even worse like the worst thing you can do is have either terms or a high valuation or something like this, where now it's like almost impossible to succeed. In fact, because you, because you've set the goalposts in the wrong place. Now that to me is, is a almost always a bad idea. So I like the idea actually of bootstrapping for a while. That way you're in the driver's seat of uh, what deals you take or whether you do one at all and so forth. Even if that, even if that's the goal, which again, it wasn't for me, it just, it it sort of, it it morphed into that.
0: So you're saying, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but just to see if I got what you say. You're saying it's not natural to, uh, to aim to be enormous. It happens, which is a broad statement. But what gives? Is it the market that pulls you? Is it all these things you've mentioned? You find yourself with this opportunity that you didn't foresee. So why why would people do something enormous? Because there are a couple of enormous things out there. And I agree that nobody just sits in a chair and says, I think of this $1 billion company or this unicorn, or I guess you could look at it that way, but pretty sure that even those people that think about that find out on the path that it's completely different. Like nobody just foresees the future. So my question is, what Yeah, I mean, I think some people
1: do think that or think they foresee it. Of course, they're almost always wrong because we read in TechCrunch about the ones that become unicorns and not the hundred times thousand times number of them that don't <laughs> right so yeah. people think that a lot you know ego greed there's lots of reasons to to think that you know overconfidence lots of reasons to believe that yeah um and occasionally somebody's right but <laughs> it's very occasional um yeah i mean that's fine it's just i, I don't think it's very introspective and, and you know sometimes it's justified by saying uh, well you need that sort of uh ridiculous optimism in order to get other people to do it the reality distortion field and all those terms people use for that maybe i mean i i I think uh certainly being a good salesperson in general is needed for any founder whether you're selling someone on joining your company or a customer on signing up right like or or an investor if if that's the path that you know you're it's all selling um and yeah like people who are optimistic and excited that tends to be um uh, contagious. So that's probably good. Um, if you're not optimistic, it's hard to see how that will, uh, how you'll succeed. So like, it, some of that is understandable, but ultimately it's probably, uh, self-deception and, and like reality will d- dictate whether that was justified. Um, I, d- again, I didn't have the those ideas. I just thought this would be a successful company period, like in a bootstrap sense, like it would be profitable and fun to work on the software, which it was. <laughs> so that part was fine. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, um, you know, it, it, especially with, with the internet, um, the 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 size of the available market for many things is just so large that it's, it does make sense that some companies will break out and, and become that. Um, I, I think you were asking like, well, what, what does it take? Like what's the, what is the ingredients or formula? And obviously we don't know because if we knew then venture capitalists would only invest in those. And of course they also are usually wrong and what they bet on. So clearly there's not just one. And and I think the ones that are correlated though, are the obvious ones, you know, the team that's competent and and that will continue to grow that way, a product that really has a good fit in some you know sense that hopefully you can prove by people showing up with their credit card and staying um, uh, uh a, a large and growing market is always good, of course, because there has to be space for you to grow into. Um, yes, sometimes you create that market yourself. That's fine. It still has to be a large and growing market that you can create, which is even less likely. But if, but if it happens, you you presumably are the winner of that market. So again, that can be a good large bet, you know, high risk, high reward style bet. And that's fine. I think um, for bootstrappers like myself. Um, I often find, you know, people are like, oh, starting a company is so risky, but I find bootstrappers think exactly the opposite way, very risk adverse. Cause we know if we run out of money, it's over. <laughs> and so we're very conservative about like I would I would rather the business grow a little slower or any amount slower, but still be here next month instead of me having to go back to my regular job. Right. So 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 that that make that creates a conservative mindset. You could argue that that's good or bad um i think you can easily see it both ways i think it's it's good to to take some more risks and and that does make sense and certainly certainly i've had times where i've been so risk adverse that i'm not taking enough bets where i'm not you know i'm I'm not maybe doing what i what i in fact should especially in, in retrospect um and uh um. On the other hand, um, bootstraps, bootstrappers survive, and, and most companies that raise money do not. So, what does that mean, right? Like, I mean, a lot of bootstrappers don't either. But you know, when, once you get, kind of get rolling, um, that conservative mindset uh, preserves it. Of course, the the. I mean, I know I'm going on and on here, but the ultimate issue with anyone, but 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 since we're talking about bootstrappers, is that it does go on and on, and at some point, do you still want to go on and on too? Like, do you really want to be at the company in six years, in 10 years, in 20 years? And if the answer is no, then there's some reckoning at some point. You burn out or you want to sell it or you just want to stop or you want to. And, and at that point, often often that point, um, often people don't think about that either through ignorance or they just don't want to think about it. Just like everyone knows they're going to die, but you don't want to think about that all the time. It's, it's not necessarily a great way to be. So sim- kind of similarly, kind of not you know intentionally not thinking about it and all of a sudden you are burned out or all of a sudden, you know, uh, something happens where it's forcing a forcing the issue or forcing the question. And then often there's not as good of an outcome because you did not plan for it. Right. And so, so here you are. And like, you make the best of it. And that's sad. And that happens to a lot of bootstrappers with, with quote unquote, successful companies. Uh, people don't talk about it as, as much because it's not a, you know, not a ego boosting story. Some people do talk about it. Um, and, and, you know the same thing could be true in venture but it's it's a lot easier to i think probably to you leave a company after now i've been at w pension for 11 years and i'm not looking to leave and i was at smart Bear my last company for seven years so i'm not one to go, come and bail out quickly <laughs> like that's not my right. behavior right but you could you know w- when you do decide to leave a venture back company you've got stock options and maybe they'll be worth zero but if maybe they'll be worth something and uh with a bootstrap company, that's generally not the case. I mean, you may have stock, but as we all know, often that, that ends up being worth not much or zero um, just by its nature. And, and so um, so then you're stuck. Like, like it's, if I sell, I don't get that much money. If I leave, you know, what am I even going to do? But I'm also burnout. out. You're kind of in this stuck place. Um, and I find like a lot of bootstrappers end up there. So it, the bottom line is there's no path that's clean and, and easy, right? Like there's just different kinds of challenges that, that appear.
0: But it's back to what you said on other podcasts, which I really appreciate, which is what you briefly touch upon. Now, what do you want? What, what, yeah. what's the best scenario in this? Cause I guess that ignorance where you're, um, uh, just floating on the ship without any, and as you said, you either burn out or you're going to sell is solely down to that question. What do you want? Uh, when I was asking earlier, uh, it wasn't really for a blueprint. Cause I'm aware it can't exist otherwise you'll be the VC with a 100% success right, rate right it, it was more you you made this point which was really strong of it's not natural to be enormous or i am am i putting the wrong words yeah, in your yeah. mouth yeah so my and and then again we we both agreed that it's even people who sit down and think and uh, and have this plan of a billion dollar company you go in reality and you see that you might have gotten there but and those one digit percent. Uh, but it it was in a probably in a completely different way because reality always teaches you how it is. So then my question was, what gives? How how do people, how does WP Engine, a project that started as a by a bootstrapper aiming to, mm-hmm. you know, have that sense of meaning, come out of work and make money because it's a business? How does it get to be? What what drives this? Is it the market that pulls? Is it a couple of things that we can't really put into words because it's one of these philosophical topics that you just better not touch or because it's market dynamics trump individual performance and all these quotes about market one of the answers i can think of is this it was really the market that pulled all this growth out of this company it was kind of like the wind blowing in the sails of the ship is it this or is it completely different
1: Uh, That is in our case, definitely a huge part of it. And again, certainly this answer is going to change by company. Like you look at something like Uber, the market didn't pull them. They were Mm. hyper aggressive in all kinds of ways to sort of, to sort of will it to happen also had to spend billions of dollars to do it. So obviously that's a totally different path to dominance. Right. And, and that, so so I I think it depends on the, on the, on the, um, on the company, what the answer will be. And so of course I can speak about my case best. So, absolutely the large and growing market was a huge, um, a huge reason. And in fact, that was part of our thesis. Um, when we raised money is like, look, WordPress is already at that time, 30. something like 15% of the internet, which feels about like infinity. So you take infinity and you, you booger flick one zero off of it. Still, <laughs> it seems like a big market and it's growing. Like it was 12% just a couple of years ago. I mean, at that time. Of the internet, though, like that's huge, right? That's enormous.
0: And now is um, now 40%? WordPress
1: is forty-two percent of the internet, so that trend continued. So we were, in retrospect, correct about that. So there's no doubt that 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 um, that we took that current. At the same time, um, at, at at that time, we had two or three serious competitors. Today, we have probably fifteen serious competitors, and we're larger than all of them combined. So that means so what does the market help us? Heck yes. But that same market helps everybody. I mean, that is the current of the ocean that we all have boats. So for us to be that successful has to be something besides the market. So a simple answer would be like the market plus execution. Like we could execute really well, but if the market wasn't large and growing, it doesn't matter. But clearly we executed something better, (laughs) you know, whether that's in our marketing and, and sales whether that's our product being superior and people like that whether it's our customer service and people you know trust us you know these are all things that are true everything I just listed and you could ask but which ones were critical um and again it's hard to say because you can't run the experiment again and say well what if we had bad service then would it work you know and mm-hmm. so it, it you so unfortunately, I don't think you can um, scientifically separate those things. Those things all matter. They're certainly part of who we are and our brand and what customers say about us mm-hmm. when asked. And so that that indicates that's important to them, so that probably was a factor. I do think I do I do really think, and I know I'm not unique in this, but I do think that when you look in retrospect at successes, uh, a, a co- companies uh, or product successes, it often does seem to come down to one or two critical things only, and all the other decisions and all the other successes and failures in the organization didn't matter compared to this one or two thing uh, that had to happen for it to work. So, um, uh, I'm trying to think. In, in our for our competitors, I might I might be good. Well, nowadays we have we have a lot, but again, at the time we were. Um, I, I was the only founder who had done a company before. In fact, several companies, right? Does, did that contribute to our being able to execute better? Probably, you know? And so, you know, uh, you know. there's, I think you. It, it's dangerous for someone who's had a company successful or not. It's dangerous for that person to say, well, now I know how to do X because the world changes. Maybe it was luck anyway, et cetera. Like there's all these reasons yeah. why that's not necessarily true that you know how to do X. But you don't know, but also, you, it's not like you don't know anything, <laughs> like your experience is helpful somehow, right? Um, so, uh, for example, when I did SmartBear, um, AdWords was absolutely brand new. And so I would get ads and I would be the only ad, the only one on the search results. And people were like, what's this? They'd like, ads are news. They're like, oh, I'm going to click it because, I, you know, what is? I just want to see Novel what it thing. is, you know, yeah. it's not like today, right? We're block everything. Um, and so... <laughs> yeah like i was able to bootstrap this business for years on adwords now like adwords is horrible it's one of the least well converting things that we have or that i think anybody has maybe if it's hyper niche etc but typically it's like i don't know not that good yeah. and uh so people would say even when i did uh when i was uh, doing like WP Engine, people would say like, how did you, how did you get, you know, how'd you get those customers for SmartBear? Cause I want to do that. And I'm like, you can't, I can't either. I cannot replicate my own success there with Edwards because yeah. Edwards <laughs> isn't the same anymore. You know, you can't do that. So that's a good example of like, you got to have beginner's mind in, in that. But in terms of hiring people, creating a culture, what does sales mean? Uh, what does marketing mean? Especially when it's bootstrapped and you don't want used car salesmen, but you do need sales. Like, what does that mean? Okay, I had tried and failed lots of different ways there before, so that doesn't mean I know everything, but at least I know some things that are wrong or I know some things that you know not to do. Um, I have a better sense, for example, of that first one or two salespeople you have, what do they have to be like in a bootstrap technical company? Because the answer is probably an engineer who decided to go to sales, uh, right, or an SE who's who wants to be in the sales seat, not uh, the salesperson who has sales success uh, somewhere else, especially in a non-technical place. I knew that. Now, I'm, I'm not saying my competitors did or didn't know that. I have no idea. So I'm not trying to disparage them at all. I'm just saying these are the kinds of things that I would I was able to bring immediately because of having to do having you know paid the price to learn those lessons before. So I wonder if that had an effect, but I don't know. Just this is what I wonder. Um, so, if you said like, well, okay, if 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 it is one or two things with WPension, pension and maybe after eleven years it can be three things, because you know it's a long time, so maybe there's a couple things. So I would say, certainly large and growing market, no doubt about it, absolutely um, important. Um, maybe, maybe uh, you know, reasonably good decisions early on when there's not a lot of people, and and still like focusing on the right things. And again, maybe born of having done uh, other startups before. Another big thing is when we realized that enterprise or larger customers was real because WordPress was historically like it's blogs it's for little people it's it's cheap it's you know it's maybe it's even insecure this is all what it felt like a decade ago but it turned out no larger companies are going are using WordPress too and no one's serving them now just saying all right well we'll have an expensive plan is of course not how you serve um, a larger company you have to have what Jeffrey Moore calls the whole product. So um, what does service mean? Is there onboarding? Is there like agency partners or other people in the ecosystem that's going to do other kinds of work and so forth? There's, there's our case studies, like there's stuff, uh, there's fu- there's uh, uh, legal stuff, like just, just stuff that, that a bigger company wants in order to be comfortable with a product. So It wasn't just oh we'll have a higher price point it was oh we're going to need a a separate marketing team a separate sales team maybe even separate uh support which we ended up doing um we're we'll need in-house counsel which we got i mean we uh, we were starting to need that anyway but like we're really going to need that for contracts and so forth like there's just so much stuff that that you really need to do it right so we did in other words, we, we, we invested in that in, in sort of the full way and not just like a little bit. And so we got to be the leader there too. So I think that was a critical this the investment that you might say decision um, um, that at least, at least, you know, looking back today and saying like, how did we get to this spot? That was a really big deal. Cause that's another thing that our competitors didn't do. Um, and so yeah, I think I think a couple of those things are, are probably make. I think things like that probably made uh, the the difference. Um, and not overwhelmed. From- so like like a lot of people ask like, well, what's your failure? When's the time that you failed? And it's 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 a good question, but on the other hand, like it's disingenuous because like we did fine, so it must not have been too much of a failure. But that's what I mean. We did have some fail, you know, some real failures and and multi million dollar you know mistakes, et cetera. But that's why your question's even more interesting. What's so important that it overwhelmed that crap? That's cool. <laughs> you know? But then then the question is, how would you know that at the time? How would you know at the time the enterprise would be one of those things, or this would be, and, and then the answer is, of course, you can't know for sure. So what I would say there is, <clears throat> um, obviously it needs to make sense, but I think you might say, first of all, does it have the potential, is it even plausible that this could be one of those game-changing or, or most important things? Um, hiring one person is, is almost never that thing, for example, although yeah. hiring a CEO is, <laughs> but like probably no other position is, is that impactful. Um, uh, and maybe if there's other examples of companies, uh, it, like you don't want to do too much of that, like, well, I'm going to copy what other people do. On the other hand, if let, let me put it this way if no company ever has gone to market in a certain way that might then you doing, it might be a genius move. You've just figured out something no one else has ever figured out. Could be, or, or it could be, there's a reason why no one did that before. Yeah. So you'd better have a really good you know justification pretty, besides yeah. quote unquote, they're all stupid. Cause they're not all stupid. Right? <laughs> besides that, that you think. It, so it actually is nice, especially if it's maybe in a different, uh, a different, uh, uh, a different vertical or even a different type of business that's not even in software, for example, where you can say, see, they did that. I think that applies to me. The reason my competitors don't see it is because actually that's not usual in our industry, but mm-hmm. in other industries it is. And like, I think it actually could work. And so like that's that would be interesting because there's like some reason to believe is what that is, not proof, but reason to believe that this could be one of those game-changing things.
0: Yeah, as you were talking about these three two maybe three reasons the answer your conclusion became apparent to me of sure I can list them but it's not gonna help because you can't know in the moment and um are you spiritual in any way not really (laughs) do you know the story one of the stories of the Buddha I'm getting, going off scripture.
1: I, I, I am aware of, of many of those stories. But, uh, and I, I think meditation is very good. And I, I do the, do that. But, the one uh, with
0: the Buddha under the tree?
1: Well, he sat there until he was enlightened, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say it very briefly. The thing is, the Buddha really wants to become enlightened. So he goes through one of the Buddhas. He goes through all these strenuous things on his body, on his mental health, right, on his work, friendship. Right? Sorry? And it didn't work. And it didn't work and yeah. when he sat under a tree and he gave up then it hit him so yeah, yeah. Uh, the the problem i'm trying to draw here is that some people one of the opinions is oh yeah but he could have become enlightened if he did, didn't go through all this stuff mm-hmm. but it's this is the connection i'm making is could jason cohen have known these three top things had he not gone through testing them all like it's clear in hindsight that it was market yeah or enterprise
1: no, no you can't know I, there's no way i mean you you again, like, I think you can say, is this plausible? And because, uh, you know, you could, yes, I think you could be, I think you could, um, you could be critical of yourself. Is this really possible? Is this really plausible? Um, that's useful because maybe it'll, it'll eliminate some, some cases, but no, there's no way you could know at the time. So placing lots of bets is one way. I kind of feel though, that, uh, If you just place 10 bets you're not going to really spend enough time with any of them and Mm -hmm. so one of them might be it but let's 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 use the analogy of of the startup itself um if you started 10 different companies at the same time they'll probably all fail because companies need more attention than that so did you really run an experiment did you really learn anything or did you just spray stuff around and that's not how it works or do you need to do something and really like pour yourself into it because that's where you might find it and you might not but like that's what you need to do. So I think in the case of a company it's bad to have like lots of them and uh, probably none of them work. It probably needs to be a serial experiment. Try really hard on this one, maybe you give up after 6 months, try really hard on the next one, etc. That's probably the right way to go. So so then within a startup what can you do? Well the more people and teams you have, okay, the more bets you can place in parallel, as long as people have the capacity for that. Um, And in fact, that is something that is useful if you do raise money because you have some money to use for such things. Okay. That could be a pretty wise strategic way to to do that. Um, So in a bootstrap company that can sometimes look like, all right, you're five years old, you're six years old, your primary products doing well. So now you try a secondary product, maybe even a third one at the same time, or maybe you start one a year. And, and see, like maybe, maybe that's more of a thing that can, that, that, that can work. But of course the result is they usually don't work like a great example is 37 signals that everyone likes to use as a great example of the best bootstrap company that ever was, except they made one product that was successful. And all their other products were failures, even though they had their reputation, their best-selling book, all their philosophy where everyone else is dumb and they're smart. And they had their code base with rails and other things, which they reused. So they didn't even have to write half the code. Like everything about it was as good as it possibly could be, and they failed time after time. They only succeeded on their first product. So, so it's not. So even they could not take their own advice and make it repeatable. Hmm. That's actually quite discouraging, in one sense. Like okay, so I'm probably not going to just spin off a bunch of products and they'll work because even thirty-seven signals can't do that. And, you know, you and I probably have less reputation and less whatever than they have. And so that doesn't mean it can't work, but man, that's not optimistic. So again, um, even worse is if you were to spin them all off and, and there's no successful one to begin with. I mean, then you won't really even find out about that one successful one. So, um, so even the idea of like, well, I'll just place a lot of bets and see, I mean, I think that works on a very small scale that, uh, that like a AdWords, where you have 10 ads and one of them works. Okay, fine, yeah. <laughs> right? Because that's, that's not eating else, you up. <laughs> but some of these things, like going to a new kind of customer, like enterprise, or going into a new market, or building a new product, those things I don't think you can throw them on the wall like AdWords. It takes too much time. Even just ideas, like you know, you, you know, you're on a walk and you have an idea, or you wake up at two in the morning and you're worried about something, you have an idea. That doesn't happen unless you're extremely focused and steeped and obsessed about the thing. Then your mind works while you're not paying attention to blah, blah blah blah. But first you're obsessed about it for a long time. And then your mind helps you. So will that happen if you're doing seven things? I don't know, maybe, but I, I think, no, just think it's opinion, but I think, no, it won't. So I think you need that obsession to have those little moments or, or to maybe finally find a way for the product to break through. You know, how many times have you, have you seen the company where they worked on it for a year, two years, and then finally it broke out and do well, like it happens constantly. So if you're just placing bets, that's not going to happen unless yeah. you get incredibly lucky and it's like amazing right out of the gate. But I mean, for almost none of us does that happen and yet there's all these successful companies where it wasn't successful on day one so that's an unreasonable thing to expect too so this placing best thing i think you have to be careful where it's okay on these little things like adwords but i don't think it's so good on product lines or this kind of thing and so does it come down to luck yes maybe it does um, but uh that doesn't mean you know spraying things on the wall uh fixes that
0: so is there any better answer than gut feeling when it comes to how do you not not even time box. Maybe it's not even about time. Is there any better answer than gut feeling when it comes to where do you draw the line when you're ending a a bet? And I guess it's a dumb question because of course the answer is it depends. It depends on why you're betting. What what are you trying? We're gonna leave that for a, maybe a, a talk just on that. <laughs> okay, because <'cause> it, <laughs> it's it a good question like, and it, it's hard. If it was like we're I'm scraping at uh, at a very deep Pandora box. And I want to get to you as well. So um, uh, <laughs> you have to uh, pardon me if, if I'm beating this dead horse of bootstrapping, but it looks to me like it's a sure. topic you that, that gives you energy. Yeah. And I guess anyway, you, you are disagreeable enough to tell me if no, I've, I've given this answer before. What I'm trying to do with this podcast is, I've, you for instance, I've listened to most of your stuff out there. I haven't read all of your stuff because you wrote a lot, but I've read a lot of good things you've sure. written. And i try to ask stuff that hasn't been uh asked on other podcasts stuff that for um night crawlers such as i am when i get to somebody i go laser focus uh they find new stuff here but um actually no i want to ask you about this disagreeableness bit you strike me so i'm switching to personal now you strike me as a person who comes across as nice and uh pleasant so that's a direct compliment but I've seen you as well. I've seen that you're able to be... uh, What's the word? Not incisive, like disagreeable. So, for instance, with Justin Jackson, or I guess even with employees, because you are the boss, you had to be the boss, you still are, so you have to tell somebody sometimes. You briefly touch upon some hard things in a company, which I don't want to mention because I don't want to destroy the vibe here, but uh, if I say something that you think is BS, I think you're going to say, actually, no. How would you strike that balance between... Pleasant person, but also incisive. Because after you've been disagreeable, you still strike me as a nice and warm person. <laughs> well, I, you know,
1: I don't know that. I don't know if if employees at WP Engine would call me nice um, or agreeable. I should say uh, disagreeable. For sure, it is true. No, you're right. That like you're right. I, my immediate reaction is honesty, which is uh, you know, as much as you want to read radical candor, which is great. Um, it's still kind of rough, and it's even more rough when it's coming from. Um, the quote-unquote boss, or even worse, the founder. Um, The first thing I would say, so so first of all, like I've done 360s, and I know this is something that I have to work on. That's why I'm so confident in that I think people wouldn't agree that I'm very (laughs) agreeable all the time, and that it's something I have to work on because I I have the data to show that that's the case. Um, So what do I do about that? Um, uh, First of all, I share my 360 feedback with others. So they know that I know that that's a problem and that I need to work on it. And that way, if they call me out on it, they know they should, because I've already said you should.
0: <laughs> this is three levels of meta now. I, I'm My yeah, brain is yeah. starting to stretch.
1: Yeah. So that's good. Like, in other words, I always say um, uh, honesty, and, and maybe you could say vulnerability, which kind of goes along with it. That goes a long way. It doesn't solve it, but it goes a long way to sort of making it possible to work through it with other uh, with other people. Um, Another fun thing, just as a side note that happened when I did that this last time <clears throat> is the other people, uh, that I did that with half of them did the same uh, the, re- reciprocated. Well, here's my stuff. Here's what I'm working on. It was so great to show, to show like you, not only is it okay to be vulnerable and say I'm working on stuff, it's strong to do so
0: mm-hmm. it's a
1: strong thing to do. And, and, uh, and so anyway, like that, I think that's a, that's a healthy dynamic anyway. Um. So that's one thing. Um, I think my mood affects it a lot too, which is generally a bad thing uh, to to do as a a leader. So in other words, um, what our CEO Heather says, she has a great phrase about this, is that it should be that every time someone comes to you, you're at this level where you're never like, oh, everything sucks and angry. And and actually never too up to, too much like we won you guys it's over we can you know go home we 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 won the market or something like that you know it's never too it's it's always this like seventy percent optimistic leaning in kind of thing because if, if it's variable like people come to you and like well what is he like today am I get my <laughs> head chopped off or not like you can see how much that immediately every cycle someone sp- spends thinking like that is a waste. And it's psychologically harmful, not to mention a waste. So that's no good. So um, so that's something good to strive for. But again, that's something that I'm not, um, <laughs> I, I can't profess to be a, a, a great at. Um, uh, another thing that, well, so another way to combat it is, is having a one-on-one relationship with each person. So there's certain people that I work with, they're on my team or they're, or I work with them, where They've been at W Pension for seven years, or I've worked with them even at w, at Smart Bear, and so actually I've worked with them for like fifteen years. So I have a relationship with them where they know everything. They have no trouble pushing back. They have no trouble saying like that's bullshit. They have no trouble saying I need more time to think about that, even though you want to act now. Uh, they have no problem with anything, right? Because like we just have that relationship. This is also what radical candor gets at, I guess. If you have that honest relationship, then you can you can ha- you, you know have better conversations. Um, but then when there's someone where they're new on the team or especially due to COVID, if, if, uh, we haven't been able to establish that, or maybe if I'm falling down on the job and not, not like pushing for that, um, then it's very hard. Um, if you don't have that personal relationship, it's very hard to have a professional interaction that involves feedback or negative things. Um, because there's no basis for it. There's no, there's no basis for that. that, Like this is okay to do. Um, so the one-on-one relationships is important. So of course, early in a company, there's only a few people, you sort of definitionally have one-on-one relationships and everything's fine. So again, this is something that emerges later, um, when it's not possible to have a one-on-one relationship automatically with everyone, another thing. So that's another piece. Another piece is, um, I'm very careful never to use the word founder at WP engine. Like it's not on anything. It's not in my Slack handle. I never use that word in a meeting. Um, or in a document, because a, a, a pro, it, it's already the case that I have this invisible hammer, the founder hammer. Mm-hmm. Anything I say to anyone has this extra invisible impact. So and I try to do everything I can to not have that impact, well, I, which I can't I can't ultimately succeed at, but I can at least try to minimize it, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, WP Engine at this time was probably around 35 or 40 people, and... So I knew that this one person in our support team was working on a certain project. So I just happened to walk by the desk because we're all in one big space anyway, still, right? So I'm walking by his desk and, and I'm just like, oh, hey, how's it going with the thing? Whatever it is. And he goes, oh, oh um, I, I was told not to work on that. Uh, so I wasn't working on that. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. And I left. And what do you think he did after I left? <laughs> he started working on it. Even though like I didn't, and then like next day, His manager comes to me and is like, you can't go around telling people what to work on. I asked them not to work on that. Like, I didn't tell them not to work on it. What? You know, the point so the the point is is that invisible hammer is real. Yeah. Even if you say one thing, the hammer still comes out and now they've heard something else.
0: And you didn't even say anything.
1: You didn't even say that, right? (laughs) Yeah. So that's why I go out of my way to and do that. Sometimes I'll even, like, maybe even annoyingly say things like. Now listen, I'm not trying to advocate for this. I'm just trying to find out because blah blah, blah, blah. You know all this equivocation, you know, right? And, and so I can ask a question without that. Just the act of asking the question having an impact. So, yeah, so like, course. what am I way to do that? Because it does. Like on the one hand, it sounds silly. On the hands, it does. Okay, so that's the in, so the invisible founder hammer is real. And so when you're small, maybe it doesn't matter so much. And as you grow, it matters a lot. So that's important. Um. And then there's the one-on-one relationships that fixes a lot. There's being open and honest about what you're working on. That helps a lot. So those are some of the ways that I try to navigate the the issue. Some of which is a personal issue of, of you know not being even keeled all the time, and um, and some of it, it like having relationships. in the founder handle is not a personal problem. That's that's just uh, that that's good advice for anybody. And the <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, you misunderstood my question, although I'm super glad I didn't interrupt you because the invisible hammer point was really nice. I didn't think it was uh, a bad thing. I was I was quite asking, how do you do it in terms of, I I like the fact you can be this, because the thing is, when you imagine a disagreeable boss, have you watched that show Succession on HBO? Yes, Okay, you know Logan I'm Roy. I'm not that bad.
1: <laughs> no, oh Jesus, that, that's, a, that's an extreme.
0: So when you imagine yeah. the boss was disagreeable, kind of like Logan Roy, right. uh, uh, The for people watching, listenings who might have not watched this, this is just an old dude, CEO of a company, kind of like a Murdoch. And anyway, extreme disagreeableness, but also not pleasant at all. But I was yeah, saying yeah. about Jason, how you can, oh, hold on. You can, I seen Jason Cohen, you can be disagreeable, but still come across as Okay, nice is not the word. Whatever, pleasant. Like I, <laughs> you know, you, you see you're smiling, you're getting excited about stuff, you know like Yeah. Straight face. That helps. That and... helps getting excited about so How it would help. you do
1: that? Well, again, going back to the I don't want to keep beating it cuz I'm not, you know, promoting or anything, but the <laughs> in radical candor, what one of the ideas is, do you genuinely want the other person to be successful? And if the answer is no, kind of all bets are off. Like what's going on here? Right? <laughs> But let's suppose the answer is yes. And let's even further suppose that they know that the answer is yes. They know you've got their back. They know you want them to succeed. Having a one-on-one relationship will help them know that. Okay. <laughs> so let's say they know that now you have a basis for having this with agreeable, you know, where, where you can do that, but still have agreeableness. So for example, a pattern I often uh, automatically do, that I just recognize in retrospect is my first reaction is to tear into something But after that, like in the same meeting though, like, like immediately following, it's like, wait a minute, but what are you really trying to do? What's your real goal? Or what are you trying to say? Mm -hmm. Let me help you build up what you're really trying to do for you with you. um, As opposed to just ripping it down and leaving. Right. So like a a common way that this uh, would come across is um, uh, so I was an early, uh, in fact, original mentor and investor at Capital Factory, which is Austin's uh, uh, sort of um, big startup incubator and, and now co-working space and many things. And this would always happen with the pitches. So the startup would do some pitch and I'd just be like, ugh, I hate, this is bad. This didn't make sense. Your TAM is is, is silly. Your projections are stupid. The, you know, you never told me. Da, 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 da. And then you can see them like melting. And I'm like, now, I think you have one of the best ideas here. I think you have a company that not only is it a good company, but I think it has. I think there's a purpose or a, a, a mission here bigger than the company. That's how important it is. I think people should come work at this company because of the the work that you're doing in the world. This has to succeed. This has to work because this is so great what you're doing. I love this, but you didn't tell me that. Hmm. I had to work out for myself how freaking amazing this company is. So let's work that in. <laughs> let's work. I'm super excited about your company, but I didn't catch that from your presentation. Let's do it. So in other words, this, so, okay. I didn't like this and like that, but like, hold on, I'm on your side. Let's build this thing up. This is incredible. Let's tell that story for God's sakes. You know? So, um, and yeah, this part of your company, this is, uh, this is bad. So that's okay. So don't lead with it and don't hide it. Instead come around near the end and be like, now, of course we have challenges. Who doesn't have challenges, Here's our challenges. Bam, bam, bam. And when you're like, like, of course we have challenges, but I'm owning it all of a sudden, instead of me going, Hmm, he didn't say that. So maybe he doesn't know or she just, you know, paved over that. So maybe she is ignorant of that, or maybe she's lying to me, or maybe she didn't screw that. Like, just, just go like, yeah, that's a challenge. So are you with me on this challenge? Because I want to do this and I want to fix that. Let's go. All of a sudden, you've taken the same challenge and just just spun it so that uh, so that it's like, yes, uh, let's let's lock arms and go do this. Of course, I have challenges. What the hell do you think? I'm a new company. What do you think? It's easy. So, in other words, uh, yeah, tearing into stuff. But then, wait, but I love this. Wait, but I want this to succeed with you. Now, let's work on that. And that part maybe is the other side of that. So you could argue, well, you should be nicer in the first place. Yeah, maybe I maybe, but uh, anyway, that's <laughs> that's how it goes.
0: When I've had that aha moment, uh, I replayed in my head what you then went on to say from another talk of Capital Factory. People come and then they get, oh, but then you tell them what you said. And uh, then I would have shown that I've done my research on you. So, damn it, opportunity wasted. No, but joke aside, what do you do when there's nothing to love? Like when you can just drill them in, but you don't have that thing to show.
1: Yeah, well, there's usually some, there's some goal we all have whatever we're talking about. I mean, if you mean some random company on the internet, then I'm just like, uh, I'm not interested. You know, like, I don't, I don't need to involve, get involved. Right.
0: Yeah. And
1: when it's at work, there's something we're trying to do. Like the reason we're having this meeting and the reason someone has written a document or is giving a presentation is something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you just have to go back to that touch point. Cause that's the thing mm-hmm. we all agree on, whatever it is we got to, you know, what are we doing for customers with this issue? Or what are we doing for growth on this other thing? Or, um, How are we, you know, addressing this technical challenge? Like there's something that we we're working on. So you just kind of go back to that touch point, like, all right, now, you know, bringing it back up to what we're doing here, we're trying to solve X. So, you know, you've come in here with this. um, And then I don't want to say it depends, obviously it does, but like, it depends on the following. So often if it's something that's, that's not good in different ways, maybe just asking questions that will highlight what's wrong with it well, did you think about X? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. Well, do you have any thoughts on that? Or do you want some time to go away and think about it? You know, you kind of give them an, uh, that ability. W- one of the things I like to say is you have to give people an out to be wrong. In other words, if someone shows up and they're just completely wrong, if you're just like, that's completely wrong and here's why. And there's like, no, there's no um. follow up, There's no continuing from there. That's just yeah. a terrible place for everyone. Right. Yeah. As opposed to, sure. did you think about this? No. Oh, what do you think about that now you've given them a, the ability to say you know now that you mentioned that i don't know i don't know if i feel strongly more and you're like that's fair that's totally fair like uh, do you want to think about it or you know in other words you've just given them a pathway to be like oh actually i changed my mind you're like good that's what we do around here is we try, all try to learn stuff and change our minds when we're wrong and that's fine right you give them a way to do that so asking questions giving someone an out that's a good one yeah another one is uh, another one is, is, let's say some, there's a, let's say a problem and someone says, well, here's my answer and let's say it's all bad. Another way, instead of nitpicking it's like, okay, what are our other choices? Like we have a problem, you have one solution. What are like the other one or two other solutions that are we could do? And we'll have to pick which one. And usually the answer is, oh, I didn't think of anything else. I just thought of this one. And you're like, oh, okay, well, we need some choices.
0: Because this is such and such. Right?
1: I mean, maybe maybe the other choices are bad, but at least we'll be able to look ourselves in the mirror and say, we thought of as many things as we could. We looked at a lot of different possibilities and trade-offs. We -hmm. traded off this way. Here's a solution. We traded off the other way. Here's another thing, you know, right? And and then we picked what we thought was best from the menu. But if we don't have a menu to pick from, then we're not making a decision. Like that's not a decision decision with only one choice is not a decision we need to make a decision here so that's a way to avoid nitpicking one and just say well let's come up with other ideas because that's what a decision looks like which it is that is a good um g- generally good you know uh policy for decision making is to is to actively come up with other solutions and sometimes the answer of course is some you know some nice mixture of oh i'll take a little of, this and a little of that that could be as well but that, that it's a good way to, to open up the possibilities is to think of lots of things. Otherwise, whatever the first thing you think of, it's not too objectionable. You do it. That's not a very good decision anyway. So for important decisions, that's, that's not a good process anyway. So you can kind of evoke that. And that's again, sort of skirting the idea, skirting the problem. This is actually bad. And maybe that will just simply come out when you have other solutions and go, oh, well, these don't have that problem or this, you know, what do you think about that? And again, it's a, it's a way to say, Oh, okay, well, it turns out option B is better. and I just happened to come up with option A first. No, no worries. You know,
0: that's strong. Uh, I swear I'm not as spiritual as I sound, but kind of like the Zen master who asks you the question doesn't give you the, the answer. I like that. And I think it is strong, especially, uh, it sounds like a a breath of fresh air, uh, in two ways. One, this perverted thing of yeah steve jobs was really mean and you have to be like him because right. yay that's the way to go <laughs> and right. then two something you've said earlier which really stuck with me which was something along the lines of maybe i'm today not doing a good job as a leader so what you just said the fact that uh, this scenario where you are not giving a way out you're just grilling this person and this sucks and this sucks and there's no way out that mm-hmm. indeed is a bad job as a leader because you're hurting the other people in the room as well by inhibiting them. So yeah, that's I mean, super strong. If, if I'm me. someone
1: else in the room, I'm looking at that going, damn, I, do not, I don't want to bring my idea here to get beaten up.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: right. Um,
0: and that's on you as a leader.
1: It, it is. And, you know, it, obviously you easily could be missing something anyway. Like when you when you do ask questions, half the time you realize you were wrong. And oh, wait, actually, that's a good answer. Maybe they, and you could say, well, they should have put that answer in the presentation in the first place. Well, maybe, but so, <laughs> like, we're ultimately, we're trying to get to the best truth, right? So, yeah. okay, so maybe it wasn't the best presentation. So what? <laughs> um, on the other hand, maybe it will confirm what you think, but then everyone might maybe, you know, coming along for the ride. When, when, one of the things about leadership for sure is that. Yeah, sure, the goal is to make the best decisions, get to the best answers, try to get to the truth as much as you can. Of course, that's the goal. But that's that's sort of like saying the only goal of writing software is, is to tell the computer what to do. That's not the only goal of writing software. You also have to tell other humans what you're doing because they have to read the code too. So that's why there's comments. If, if, we didn't, if we didn't need to talk to humans, we wouldn't have comments. Humans can include yourself. <laughs> like yourself in six months when you forgot what the hell you were doing, <laughs> right? Like, Or it could be others. But anyway, so, so the old joke, right, is is, is uh, coding isn't telling the computer what to do. It's telling other humans what you're telling the computer to do. That's what coding is, right? So similarly with leadership, uh, yes, you're trying to get to the right answers and goals and decisions, blah, blah, blah. It's like writing the code. You're also trying to build a team that's smarter and better, that's themselves making better decisions, that themselves are coming up with better answers, themselves have better context, they're smarter in whatever that means, (laughs) right? in whatever dimension that may mean. Um, That's also the goal, because if you're the only one who can do that in the room, you're a terrible leader. Because that means you're not, your team isn't getting better. And what the hell, like, that's the only way for the organization to succeed is if the team is getting better. You know, and that's, that's your job is to build great teams, which then, et cetera, et cetera. Like the best thing of all would be the team's always done all the work and all the ideas and all the stuff and always have the right answers. And you never do anything except show up to meetings. That would be ideal. That would be perfect because you've made the best team, right? And so if you're going, no, they suck and this bad idea and I have to do everything, then as a leader, you are absolutely failing. You may think you're doing great because you have the answers, but you are failing because your team d- is not the one who has the answers. Oops. So either you've hired wrong or you've, you've hired great people but put them in the wrong roles or you hire great people and put them in the right roles and you're not letting them do their job or, or you're not giving them enough context so that they can make good decisions. Like you have information they don't have. And so they're not, made, like there's all kinds of failures that modes that could be happening. But the bottom line is as the leader, well whatever that is it's your fault you've got to diagnose that and do something about it and so with that in mind like so you're really going to rip into that person when you when when your whole job is to make this team and this person better so if someone who so so, so uh, you know that that's another attitude is like wow no you wouldn't rip into uh, into someone, you would say like, wait, what What do they not get? Maybe they don't know how to reason about this. Maybe they don't have certain data. Maybe they've never done this before. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And so when you think of it that way, it's a lot easier to think of what shall I do here to help everyone do better. Um, counterintuitively, for someone like me who likes to, I'm an activator, I like to like, oh, let, are we gonna do that? Do it now. And then okay, the next day, like, how come it's not done yet? You know, that's me, right? Okay, well, that's good for a bootstrap type of mentality. Get it done, okay. But it can also be bad if it, something needs to take time, then you're annoying. Right? <laughs> um, sometimes things need to go slower so that the team is improving. So in other words, let's say the team has never built a strategy before, but they need one. Well, if you just build it and give it to them, by the way, are you so great at building a strategy? But anyway, um, then, they, then they still don't know how to build one and they're not personally invested in it because it was given to them instead of them co-creating it. So. You could, you know, let's suppose you could create a good strategy in a month, but with the team, you end up creating a strategy in three months, but they were all involved. So it's slower, but what is the result? A team that's completely bought in that knows why every word of that is in there. They feel like they are part of building that strategy. They can turn around to their folks that they work with and repeat it correctly because they were there instead of just reading and incorrectly repeating it and so forth. They can reason better about how to solve, you know, how to, how to invent the right products that achieve the strategy or whatever, right? Surely everything's better except that it took longer. So it's worth it. So again, like that that kind of mentality of it might, sometimes it's okay to take longer if it means the team is way better, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think you just have that mentality and, you know, you you might make better choices about what how you're interacting with folks.
0: I love that, especially... I mean, even for VCE funded companies, for funded companies or for bootstrap ones, I think this is worth it because I guess for funded companies, you want to go fast and for bootstrapped companies, you want to go long or maybe depends on what you want, as you suggested. Um, But I want to ask something else. Um, Advice, mentorship, coaching do you i'm gonna ask a very young question a very naive question do you still get advice and talk to us if you will about maybe you have a coach maybe who do you tend to to advise or is it all yourself maybe
1: well when in my 20s i definitely had uh, the the co-founder at um at it watchdogs was effectively that i learned so much from him uh he was Twenty to thirty years older than me, and so had a lot of experience to to bring, which was kind of fun. It was kind of like the gray hair, you know, business guy, and the and the young, you know, engineer person. You know, it was a good little combo story there. But um, so I, I definitely have had mentors. I would say today, probably our CEO Heather is who I would I would call a mentor. Um, but I don't have one outside the company, which is probably wise. Like it's probably good to be outside the walls, someone who has experience to bring to bear, but isn't sucked into the daily, this and that, and therefore can have a little bit of perspective is probably wise. Um, It's probably, probably good for everybody to have some sort of uh, coach or mentor or something um, in the sense that, you know, the top hundred tennis players in the world all have coaches. And in no case is that coach better at tennis than that person. Right? So it's not the coach's job to be better at it than you, whatever it is, um, because that's not what a coach is. Coach is asking the right questions. The coach is the mirror that you need to look into. Um, you know, the, the coach is a different kind of skill set. So if, if it's useful for like every athlete, it's hard to say why, like, well, not me, you know, okay, really? <laughs> like, it seems like everybody needs that, that could use that mirror. At the same time, I also think that that's one of those professions where like 90% of it is not very good, sort of like SEO experts. Everyone's an (laughs) SEO expert. Really? They're just like H1 tags. You're like, Oh my God, never mind, Right. So I feel like it's, it's one of those where the good ones are surely worth their weight in gold, but there's a lot of like, what's this, I'm not getting anything out of this type of stuff. And I don't know how to tell the difference other than maybe asking, you know, their clients and so forth, you know, asking around, I'm, I'm not sure how to interview someone and look for who's a good mentor. Um, so the answer is like yes, but it's hard to find, I guess. Um, one thing I will I will say on that is most people who give advice are really just giving advice to themselves in the sense of whatever their worldview is, whatever their goals are, et cetera. Um, rather than for you. Uh, so if they raise if they've raised money, they're not gonna be they they probably won't have good advice to a bootstrapper. Or if they're a vehement bootstrapper, they may not have um, They may not have enough of a purview of what are the, all the options for things. Um, Also goals change throughout your life naturally, but I don't know that everyone is fully aware of that. So um, a a good example of this is, I, I hate this advice on the net where they're like, just work 30 hours a week and work smarter. It'll all work out. And inevitably those people did not do that to build their business. They worked way too hard and sacrificed their health and family build a business. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that's what they did. And then only later they say, but I, but now it's okay. And that's what I should have been doing all along. How do you know if you had done it all along, it would have worked? You don't. And in fact, there's not a lot of examples of people who didn't work very hard and succeeded. I actually don't know those stories. There might be a few, but for every one, I know a hundred that didn't go that way. So I'm not so sure that's the right advice, but just because that's now where they are in their life, then they think that's good advice. So... That, that's what I mean by giving advice that's for themselves or 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 maybe the wrong perspective. So I think someone that has at least that introspection and that presence of mind is to it would be good. So here's how I might try to detect that if I was if I was interviewing someone or something, I would um I would see what they ask me. So for example, if there's like you know what do you do this company? Oh yeah, well I know this other company and they do this, and you know what you should do is this, and like that's not a good mentor. But a good one would be something, or, but, but I think a good sign would be something like, if they were like, okay, what, what got you into this? What are you trying to get out of this? Like, do you want to sell someday or you don't know or, you know, how are you feeling? Um, you know, um, have you ever given thought to what you would do after this, if anything? Um, you know, in, in other words, if they keep just probing you, what's your deal? That to me is a very good sign that they don't want to give you advice until they know more about you. Ooh, I would like that. And not that that's the only dimension, of course, but like to me, that would be a very good sign of someone who's trying to find out about you first, give advice to you. (laughs) That would feel even an initial meeting that feels good to me, as opposed to someone like, well, listen, I started this and I, I'll introduce you to this person and then we'll go do that. And that, you know, what you should do is go into this other market because it's really hot, you know, like, they're not even, they're not listening. And so I don't, I don't know about that.
0: Can you get that sort of stuff from somebody without building a relationship, like something long, like maybe you've known each other or maybe, uh, like say you and I on this call, like obviously there's no strings attached for you and I to ever talk before. It's not like I'm your son or you've invested in me and you've got any vested interest. Is it possible? Everything you're saying makes sense. But now I'm thinking, can you actually get that sort of a proper advice without spending, we are making a time investment. I get a feeling um, that the answer is probably maybe, not. Maybe, but
1: how would you know if, if the advice is right? In other words, yes, but how would you know if, 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 if that advice was appropriate? for you because it's aligned with your goals and your personality and so forth. How would you know either? Like even if they if the other person was as uh, you know, trying to be as good and, and and as possible, but like still how would either of you know if it's, if the advice is right for you if you haven't invested the time to, to you know to, to even think think about your situation carefully and uh, maybe ponder it for a while and maybe explore a couple of alternatives and weigh them analyze them and then pick, like, if you don't do that, how would anyone know if it's, if it's right? You know, um, you, 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 you mentioned Justin Jackson. I forget. I don't do a lot of podcasts as you know, but I forget it was one of those like that. And I forget who it was with where it was sort of like, that they're like, Hey, I want some advice this. And, and I remember I just kept asking them questions. They're like, when are you yeah. going to
0: get <laughs> tell me the advice? So
1: like, well, but I have to, you know, so I think even, even just that at least is maybe a little bit directionally. You know, useful. But the other thing about advice is, um, for anyone that tells you you should do X and here's why, there's someone else that will say you should do exactly the opposite of X and here's why. And probably both of them have reasonable reasons. <laughs> like they're probably like pretty good <laughs> explanations. Like, and and uh, that's true of most things. And so it's like, oh, shoot. So ultimately, it's up to you anyway to decide if the advice is, uh, is appropriate. And what, what I like to say about that is is um, if one feels like it's your personality or like just fits better, like I would be comfortable doing this. I'd be proud doing this. I like this idea. Um, that may actually be good enough. Like that gut feel might be sufficient if both are reasonable. Now you have to, you have to sort of really look inward to ask, am I just trying to avoid what I know is right by doing this? <laughs> you know, cause you kind of have that pit in your stomach. Like, I know I really should do this, but uh, Hey, this person's giving me an excuse to do the other thing. Yay. Like you gotta, you gotta just kind of feel right. Right. Like, is that what's happening? If that's, what's happening, you know what to do. The harder one, <laughs> the one you don't want to do, right. That's you gotta do that. But suppose it's not true. And you're like, no, really, it's not about like, I don't have a pit in my stomach. I just literally don't know what to do. They both sound fine. They're both about like should I? do marketing with, uh, with content generation or with advertising. Uh, advertising is more immediate, but content generation is more long-term. And I don't know what to do because they both sound reasonable. Um, okay, there's no pit in your stomach, like it's this is all fine. Um, whatever one you're drawn to, I would actually say that's a good tiebreaker because that will be, you'll be more passionate about the thing that you're drawn to. Then you'll put in more energy and thought, and that will make that better <laughs> if they're genuinely both good. And do the one where you're going to pour yourself into so i actually think that gut check is okay if, if it's genuinely an, a, a coin flip
0: i remember you saying that to justin you were speaking generally about you know choosing between a couple of ideas and that sort of passion assuming everything is equal when you're in this sort of situation that perhaps passion although passion is a bit of an overused word these days um... yeah maybe
1: obsession in other words the uh, if you're like some people are like, man, I want to get an audience online. I just want to get an audience online. Maybe it's ego. Maybe it's just total horseshit. I don't care. That's what I want to do. Good. Now, is that a passion? Is it an obsession? Is it a drive? Whatever. <laughs> I think do it. <laughs> like that's probably good. Like be smart. You know about is that is there a means to an end or like what's happening here? Like good to be honest about that. Yeah. But um, but fine. Um, but but I think. Uh, um, uh, um, I think where passion is, is becomes wrong is when people are like i like to paint you're like okay well i can pretty much tell you right now that's not a business which is fine which is fine just don't don't do that <laughs> right? if you like, want to make a business all your passion another way right like so i think yeah just passion is like okay well businessy businesses need so many things to succeed Right, you have to have products people want to pay for paying is really hard to get out of other people. On the one hand, the world is your market, on the other hand, every other company is your competitor for the same reason. So getting attention is almost impossible. Um, charging more than it costs to advertise and then deliver the product is very, very hard, as all bootstrappers will attest. Um, like then god forbid you have to hire somebody, and how does that go? Like So many things have to go right. And so like, well, I like to do X. Like that just doesn't matter in the calculus of (laughs) of all the things that have to go right. So that's where I think the the passion thing falls down. Like it'll just follow your dreams. It will happen. Like, well, obviously not. Right. Um, But obsession is good. I can't stop thinking about this. I really need to do this. I think, uh, you know, and that's different. I think
0: that's the practical boost you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So a uh, very uh, good segue that we mentioned, Justin. Yeah, it was, I think it was a live Periscope that you've done with him. He posted as a two part. I mean, it was mm-hmm. live. It was his early days of Transistor. Uh, the, uh, the next question is the people who are listening to this are probably doing not necessarily a SaaS, although SaaS as well, probably young, such as I am. So I think it's going to interest a lot of them. How, how do we get advice if you have an answer you might not have one how do we get advice from maybe somebody like you maybe somebody else um obviously has to do with is jason available does he actually give a shit about me or i should actually ask it the other way around what makes you wanna do this sort of podcast maybe an ama because obviously an am asked me anything they're not gonna ask you about your shoe size. They're gonna ask you probably something about SaaS, about WP Engine or IT watchdogs. <laughs> right. So you kind of know you're setting yourself up for okay. A bunch of people wanna hear from me about obviously their situation. What makes you w- wanna do that?
1: So, so you're sort of asking, why did I say yes to this podcast at all? <laughs> because <laughs> yeah,
0: but to make it clear, kind of like a product, like when you talk to the yeah, user yeah. and you're like, what 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 did I get right so I can do more of it? Yeah. And I mean I mix two questions. It's largely
1: ego. Like it's fun, it's fun to be on the podcast. And it's uh and also I just I do enjoy talking about all this stuff. I do feel like there's a lot of stuff that uh, um I've done or experienced that's fun to pay forward. That's that's that was nice about Capital Factory. Was like, oh, this is fun for me. I get it, I get like a nice ego boost by being the, the expert on the panel. And some of this stuff is useful, <laughs> like and you know, I, and again, I know because some I get emails like, "Oh, this I really need to hear this today," or whatever. It's like, see, that's good. That doesn't mean I'm right about everything, but but that is good, and that makes me feel good. And clearly, it was useful for them. So okay, that I like that. And then the other factor is, I just want to like do stuff with people that I, that that I either like or I, or the energy is such that I like. So like on your Twitter, it's all just like positive doing and active doing stuff. I'm like, sweet. See, that's good. I need more of that in my life and, and less uh, COVID depression, uh, Twitter. right? <laughs> like that's And so to me, it's like, Oh yeah, this looks like it's just going to be fun. Like here's someone who gives a crap about all this and is doing a bunch of stuff. Like this is going to actually be fun. So for me, that was the the entire calculus. Not it's pretty simple. I'm sure different people have their own calculus, but that's, that's, that was my, um, And that was my decision-making process.
0: (laughs) I appreciate Most People are just
1: like, I have this business uh, and I want advice. And it's just like, you know, it's it's asymmetric. I can't, there's one me and lots of other people. So I can't, you know, but but it's like, oh, this, this is like, uh, this looks like it's going to be fun.
0: Perfect segue. Absolutely. Perfect segue. Thank you for, piercing through me. I like when we're doing open surgery on my body and I'm on the table. But perfect. <laughs> yeah, but that was per-
1: positive, so that's easy.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Hello, my ego. Uh, perfect segue because you just uh, put side by side with, this is my business. Hello, Jason. Can you give me 10 tips for advice right now? What you... Uh, I-, I know I'm asking you to go back to probably two or three years ago. That episode, that talk with Justin was... It struck me as the perfect balance between a, a like a nice dance, like a give, give and take. Justin wasn't, I mean, you know, in a sense, he was getting free consultation from you. Sure. And I'm supposing you didn't send him a bill for your hourly rate after. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but to me as a listener, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is so useful. And I, I wasn't even at Justin's uh, stage. Do you have... Any kind of pointer, if you remember, on why that discussion struck the perfect balance? Because I'd love to get the the valuable advice that Justin got. But when I make this podcast, I also need to be... I want to be mindful of the audience. I want to be like, oh, okay, there he goes again. Like he... This guy has nice chats with people, but there he goes again with his business. So I, I want to be mindful of juggling these, these things. Do you happen to remember?
1: Well, I don't remember the details of that conversation. But what I would say is... Um, when, so despite what I just said about advice, need to match, et cetera, et cetera, (laughs) I would say, but advice that is good for somebody in some circumstance, especially if you can highlight the criteria. Well, if you're trying to do X, then I say, Y. you know, like, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's just interesting. Like maybe you're, you know, maybe, you know, some subset of the listeners, are in that situation, in which case it's especially useful, but supposing they're not, it's still interesting. So for example, um, one of the most successful radio shows ever was Dr. Laura Schlesinger, who gave the same advice all day, you know, for four hours a day, whatever heck it was day after day for decades, exactly the same advice to everyone. I mean, it was, you. if you just listen for an hour, you could just predict what she was going to tell the next person. They're going to call up and say, X. And like, oh yeah. Whenever they say this, she always tells them to do Y. And yet it's compelling like super compelling anyway even though you know what she's gonna say why <laughs> like that should be boring right I think I think I think actually it is interesting to hear advice if it's valid for someone and even if you may know the answer already it can be kind of fun anyway because you have that feeling of hey I knew the answer I, I'm smart <laughs> right I, I already knew the answer that's great. I heard of the hundred and fifty monkey thing. Uh, yay! I I knew I know that. So I, I just feel like um. As long as it's pointed and it's useful for someone, maybe it's ins- it, Hopefully it's insightful. Hopefully, as as you've said multiple times today, I completely agree. Not the same crap you've read a billion times online. Doesn't have to be the you know completely unique and never spoken, no, never uttered before because that's kind of hard. But at least not the usual crap, <laughs> right? Like something yeah. interesting. Um, or if it is this, if it is like a similar piece of advice, but there's a different reason or a different angle on it, different way to say it, different way to think about it. Um, like some of the leadership things I said, I mean, none of that is, is like something I invented that you can't read in a book or an article somewhere, but maybe just having an example or seeing someone else take it. Like maybe that's actually a better way to consume it.
0: That's exactly right
1: now. I I just think it's, I just think it's entertaining if it's, if it's, if it's, uh, you know, if it's pointed. And I also think there's a lot of people who live vicariously that way. Like I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of your listeners don't have businesses, but someday Um, I know for my blog, it's definitely that I used to think I'm writing for people that are actually doing, are actually bootstrapping. And so that's who must read it. Oh no. Like 90% are people that, that don't have a business, but someday. And, and when you see that, you're like, oh, well then what the hell are they getting out of it? Cause I just said like how to hire your first employee or whatever kind of thing like that. What the hell are they reading that for? They don't even have their first product yet. What about, a, you know, why is that interesting? Cause living vicariously like that is actually quite fun. <laughs> so um, I think, I, so I think there's some dynamics there where as long as the person is like, uh, what's another good example. Um, I love listening to any interview or reading any interview with uh, Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz. And None of the things he's working on are things I work on Hmm. none of the he's, and he's operating at like more like a macroeconomic level. And I never think that way about anything. And he tends to say the same things for like three or four years at a time before he changes up the details. So I've heard the same, you know, the same information, like Like a bunch of times recently, I don't care. I'm going to listen to every single one because he's always really articulate about it. There's always like insights, even if I've heard them before, I just feel like I'm smarter when I leave, even though I'm not using that my day to day, Um, and uh, I love it. So, like, you know, that's obviously a personal example because maybe you don't like him, but, but, um, um, and he certainly has some things. But like, just the content is so good. So, um, I kind of feel the same way. Let's say about Naval. I'm not sure how applicable a lot of the stuff is, blah, blah, blah. Don't care. Like it's so uh, stimulating. Even if I disagree with it, like it's fun to do that because it's at least it's intellectually stimulating. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's the final thing. Even if you hear advice and you're like, no, that's stupid. I would never do that. Yeah, but that's still fun. And actually in an odd way, it's helpful to know what you definitely don't want to do. Helps you know what you do want to do. <laughs> right. In other words, someone's like, you should just, uh, I don't know. Someone's like, uh. Ads are dumb because you sh- you need to have your own um, I don't know personality online. That's the only way. And you're like, no, I like spending a thousand dollars and then making five thousand dollars. I like that. You're no, you're wrong. Like, if I have a machine like that, I have a business. So screw you. Cool. You've just solidified your ideas about advertising more, and that's good. <laughs> so so even if you disagree, like controversy is fun or disagreeing is fun. So I, I think it does need to be like intelligent so that there's something to react to but otherwise it's like it's probably just entertaining
0: <laughs> yeah i both of the things became very clear to me as you were saying that you covered it for me because about 20 percent of the stuff you said today i've heard it before but i didn't mind like the dr laurel i don't know what her yeah, name yeah. Is, what you mentioned <laughs> like the capital factory like but when I hear again I'm like yeah this this time it, it hammers home yeah this time and then I'm gonna hear again and say yeah yeah this time I got it in my mind This well time. you
1: know if you go see your favorite band they have their new uh, stuff but you kind of want to hear the old stuff anyway right yeah like, <laughs> that's okay yeah, that makes sense
0: <laughs> and then number two the vicarious fig you mentioned I guess that's also the sort of Nike thing of we see these athletes and we say oh they've got the swish I've got the swish so you know kind of the same <laughs> not really but almost there I get that very interesting uh you've you've taught me whether you know it or not we are best friends you just don't know yet (laughs) (laughs) you taught me whether you know it or not to look into uh nature into what happens nature in a metaphorical way and see what value really is so you've given a one point example of hey look at our website which then you scrolled this was your wp engine after a year or so You scrolled in the footer, you had broken links, and you said, look at this stuff. How did we get money with that? And that to me was super, super valuable because despite broken links in the footer, you guys were making money when you, in in the natural narrative, you shouldn't have, especially when security, website hosting, we know how to code and to make your life simple, but then we got broken links in the footer. Not broken, right. broken code. So right. I looked at it and I said, oh, okay. So Jason is doing quite well today. Then the success didn't have to do with how clean the website is. Right. And I also come from the design world where, oh yeah, that's why Apple made it. Because they had great design and Steve Jobs and whatever. So it's perhaps maybe the naivete of, of youth. I mean, youth in this entrepreneurial business setting. Thinking, uh, that some of these vanity things are what drive value, but actually, no. You look in nature and you see some other things drive value. So
1: yeah, yeah, but I think you can. So you know, first you can cross apply our conversation about just a few things actually mattered, and the footer is obviously not one of those things, right? <laughs> but what we were solving mattered. Like if those weren't right, never mind, right? Okay. But beyond that, I would say. Um, It's totally logical that for WP Engine, design didn't matter. And for Apple, it did. That's okay. One is a consumer brand. One is not. Also, one has their entire brand around design. The feel, the look, the unboxing experience, et cetera. The whole brand is built around that with Apple, whereas ours isn't. You could say, well, we we could have built a brand like that. In fact, some of our competitors have. And they're not wrong either. Right. So it's, it's fine for, to say like, um, you know, aside from like, what are the few decisions that, that made it successful? Okay. Set that aside. What are the few things we're really going to value here in our product? Is it going to be never having any bugs? So quality, is it going to be security? Is it going to be performance? Is it going to be brand? Is it going to be, you know, how friendly we are, how approachable we are? Cause that's a great example of like, you can have like, hey, man, I'm just like a little company. And then there's some people who will say, great, I hate giving money to big corporations. I'll put up with your shitty support, your shitty product, your shitty. I'll put up with that because I want to support the little guy. And at the same time, there's someone else going, I'm not trusting my stuff to some little fly-by-night company that's going to disappear in a year. And so you'll lose some people and you'll gain some people for that decision of saying we're going to you know, look like a small company. So these, these, so these decisions are, are they make or break? Never mind, I don't know, but you do need to make those decisions just so you're consistent. Are we going to focus on what? And I just listed a bunch of options. Those are not the only options clearly, Yeah. but you could say, look, we're going to be highly approachable and we're going to be the fastest and that's it. Like, not that nothing else matters, but like, if there's any way to, to maximize those, that's what we'll do. Even if it means other things are flapping around and horrible. So, um, there's been hosting companies where security, for example, is their main thing. It's expensive, it's slow, but there's like this incredible security story. So if security is your number one thing, there you go. And if it's not, you're going to go, but I don't, you know, I don't like all this stuff. That's fine. That's a, that is a choice to essentially make a niche, right? So if for Apple it's designed and for us, it's not okay. Like that's, it, it's, 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 it's better than fine. It's actually good that there be different niches different companies trying to really focus on this. I'm trying to focus on that. I'm trying to focus on that. Good. That's actually good for consumers too. So whatever the consumer cares about the most, they can find someone who agrees. That's probably good. So that's all happy stuff. So I think, I think, uh, you know, which of those will make or break you? I don't know, but, um, but that is good to select uh, because if you don't pick it, then none of them will be extra good. Like you won't be the most performant and you won't have the best brand and you won't have the and, 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 and like, let's say you don't pick how you message on the website. Well, this is very straight laced corporate and this is not. And so it's confusing and like nobody's happy. So making those choices is important so that you can be consistent with your choices in product and language and blah, 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 consistent around those one or two critical things. That's important. Otherwise you won't be those things, <laughs> right? Um, uh so that's smart internally to pick that pick pick what those couple of things are, um, and not pick very many, like maybe literally just one or two, because otherwise you don't have time.
0: It sounds to me like, if I may abstract it, you let me know if it's too abstract. It sounds like features market fit. But, but you like mark Andreessen, so you're probably gonna like how features market although maybe features isn't the best word but you get what i'm saying here with, se- with security what you just mentioned like design isn't
1: yeah not not
0: features features you'll fill in so in yeah, words, not features um, as in the pricing page yeah yeah right Facet I, I, I i'm at a loss for a better word yeah you could say
1: it's value or it's primary attributes or you know attributes the... Yeah, yeah the, your philosophy on what's the most important thing that you're going to do, or just your, um, in marketing, you would say your positioning, because your positioning statement, is something like "we're the fastest in the in Europe" or you know whatever, like some kind of statement of something or other that you're going to, then you know, make good on.
0: So attributes market fit. This all boils down to an American uh, sc- scraping at a very deep Pandora box. But you strike me as a. a- at least a bit philosophical person, so maybe you have something to add. If not, we can skip through this. Um, Prioritizing, choosing what attributes you wanna slap on top of your market to see how they fit. It all comes down to the skill of value discovery or estimating value or estimating the the cost, whether it's time cost, money cost. Like, as you said, we can be the small guy or the big company if you would have a time machine to A-B test it, you will see which one uh, brings you more revenue or whatever you're optimizing for and go for that. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to add, any pointer when it comes to this value discovery skill? Because even when you're prioritizing, even when you're prioritizing uh, putting design at number 12 And great customer support at number one because you have this theory that Mm -hmm. this market is really, really in dire need of great customer support, such as the WordPress market back in two thousand (laughs) and ten. Hey guys, I really think that I'm placing a bet. I, Jason Mm -hmm. Cohen, and uh, we're gonna see how it plays out. But this is what I I look and I see valuable. You don't? Do you quantify? Do you try estimating dollars? Do you try and make those lists? Anything to add when it comes to value discovery? Yeah.
1: Um, I would say two two sides. One is you have constraints that you have to apply, which will filter out some possibilities. And then there's what you're saying, which is, but where's the opportunity? Like where's the interesting opportunity to take advantage of? So first the constraints as a bootstrap company, there are some of these values, which may be great, but you can't do it. Mm -hmm. So let's take security if you want to make that the number one uh, thing that you do, there is a lot that you're going to need to do. You might need a person on the team who is your CISO, who has a pedigree so that already it sounds like, Oh, you have the, the ex VP of security from impressive company. Yeah. And they can get on the phone with anyone and blow them away. They can always be the person who knows more about security than the other person on every call. Right. and, you have, and you implement, um, we, we do some of these things, at do- which by the way, we do this at WP Engine sp- specifically, but, you know, we have, uh, you know, we're SOC 2 compliant and that requires a whole lot of stuff, but none of our competitors are. So that means we're more secure in some sense, right? In some, uh, in some definition of, of, of that. Um, we, um, <clears throat> we, we do things like we train anyone who touches a customer, so support and but also like an, even in finance or accounts payable or in sales and so, and so forth, about things like uh, how hackers can try to call and do social engineering. It's not all about the software and the firewalls. If you want to have a good security story, you better have the human story of how you train people on social engineering, which nice. we do. But are you doing that? Because like, if you're going to say you're best in security, like these are the kind of things that you want to be able to put forward to say we do all these things, and that's why we're the most secure. Plus, uh, uh, technology and everything, of course, as well. Which, by the way, is usually expensive too. Um, and just saying like we're behind Cloudflare, okay, you and everyone else. So that's not that doesn't count because everyone does that. But if you're going to maximize that, like, then that's not all you're going to do, right? Like, what else are you doing? And, and that's not just free and everyone does it. In other words, it's very hard and expensive to do that. So if I'm a bootstrapper and it's a new product, I probably should not select that, even if there's a big opportunity because it's too expensive and hard. Now, I'm not trying to say that necessarily is true. This is just a line of thinking, right? So as a bootstrapper, I think about things like, I don't want to answer the phone 24-7. So I don't want to promise tech support that answers the phone on the first ring. I may not want great tech support to be my main thing if it's just me yeah cuz i can't deliver on that security like i just said like let's suppose all that well then i can't deliver i don't even really want to so i shouldn't pick that as my thing and so on you can just go into the line this is what i mean about using the constraint of the organization to say wait mm. some of these even if it's smart i cannot deliver in a maximal world class way so i shouldn't pick it cuz i won't i won't in fact be very good at it so I even won't pick the it.
0: enterprise opportunity you mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. i mean okay great opportunity in wordpress and enterprise yeah but i'm bootstrapping and i have 5k in mrr so i'm not sure how that's gonna i see now
1: yeah now now maybe you could say screw that i'm gonna go ahead and jump in anyway and do it and i won't sleep for a while okay cool like but you've accepted the consequences that's okay like it's not rules but but there are some consequences (laughs) (laughs) that you that you want to accept um, and so for us, we were four years in, we were over a hundred people, like, you know, we had raised some money so we could put that to work and making new organizations. Like we had the means to go make that decision years in. So that's different. Right. And again, like this, it's nice to raise, that's one of the nice things, but raising money, I'm not promoting that as, as you, as you pointed out, I'm not, I'm not, I'm neither promoting nor not promoting raising money or anything, but that's one of the things you get to do though, is invest in something like that. If you, if you want to anyway, so so, um, so first the constraints, this is what I shouldn't pick because I won't be able to be world-class at it, I won't be able to maximize that. Um, so that's useful because that takes away a lot of possibilities. Then with the fewer possibilities that remain, then there's your question, original question of like, where's the value? Um, no, I don't try to get it in dollars. I think that's all like nonsense unless you really have amazing analysts. And even then like the world changes so quickly that it's not clear that that's, that's all that interesting. Um, there are some techniques that some people claim is uh, kind of that, that, you know, math or studies or experience have shown are better ways to ask the question. Um, so for example, one that seems pretty good is, is like a, is either a stack rank. So don't allow people don't, you don't want to ask like, would this feature be good? Would that be a feature be good? Because often the answer is like, well, yeah. Like, if so I asked, like, do you want it to be more secure? Well, of course I want it to be more secure, but this is really, it's not giving me any information, right? Like, I, I knew that, but that's not helping. Um, but, but if you say like, okay, here's what things could be, um, stack rank them, or what is your top two, or something that forces the person you're interviewing to decide what's actually most important. So it could be something like, here's six things. If you could only have two, and the rest are actually not that good, what would you pick? Now you're, starting to, now you're making them decide and now you're starting to maybe learn something about what people care about or stack ranking is similar. Um, of course, uh, you could maybe do a propensity to buy You know something like if I told you this thing was twice as fast as everything else, would you give me $100 a month for it? Mm-hmm. Okay, if it's more secure, would you give me $200? No, 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 no. Like I want it to be secure, but I just, I mean, I don't have that kind of money okay, well, it's 10 times faster. Now do you want to? Oh, well, maybe then, or maybe they wouldn't, you know, like, so, so sometimes like, it's not that you're putting dollars as in measuring the size of the market, not that, but using money to, co- again, to cause the person to think critically and not just say, I want everything. Yeah. Um,
0: everything by the kitchen. Bringing money
1: into the equation, I think is good. There, there's some advice on the net, which I think is valid. I just disagree with it, but I think it's one of those like, you know, intelligent people can disagree. Like that's hard to say, um, which is in these kinds of interviews, should you, you, should you talk about money or price or should you not? So the argument not to is to say, you should just figure out their pain, what they really care about. And if you start talking about money, it like just muddies that conversation. You're just trying to figure out what their life is like and what they would actually pay to, to, to address. The other side of the, the argument is In fact, your product has a price point and you need to figure out what it is. And someone might say yes at a certain price and no at another price. And you've got to find that out because they may say yes, but not at a price that makes your business work at all. So even if you were to find out their pain, that still might not be enough. And price is also part of your positioning and your marketing because a product that starts at $10,000 a month is not the same product, even if every all the other text is the same as one that starts at $10 a month. It isn't the same product and not the same people will buy it and not for the same reasons and blah, 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 blah. So if you don't talk about price, how will you figure that out early on? And so you have to. So I'm in that second camp. That's my argument. Again, I, I definitely see both sides, but I'm in the second camp. So with that in mind, you could use money like, well, what if it costs this and blah, blah, blah. And maybe by again, introducing money just to sort of force them to really try to give you a better answer. Not not to necessarily immediately find out a price point, but to cause them to, to have to decide. That's the main thing that was decide. Otherwise they're just like, yeah, that's all good. And of course at the end, uh, I don't know, like we've all, I'm sure we've all experienced, I've certainly experienced, you know, you, you do all these interviews, you figure out stuff. Now, you know, you go to market and in fact, they don't act like what they said they would do. Right. So grain of salt. So like you should go do that, but you shouldn't spend a year doing that because it, something's it's not going to be quite like that anyway (laughs) so Hmm. you know but hey at at minimum well let me put it this way you may think that the goal is to pick the let's say the attribute that is the best that will grow the most that people pay the most for whatever best means right and that would be that would be good (laughs) right that would be good but it's actually not the goal the goal is to pick an attribute which you can, in fact, execute on that is really good. But best, meaning like there's no better, is actually not the goal. Like it could be that then this other attribute would have been just as good. So, as long as you're successful, <laughs> right? It, what you don't want to do is pick an attribute that, in fact, people don't value because then you'll fail.
0: Sorry, so, that's really follow. the
1: goal is to not pick that
0: okay i got this part i don't follow the part with you need to pick the ones that are good you're saying there's not that much difference as long as you're making well, who
1: even knows right like since it's, so, <sighs> it's it's so right like like who can really say anyway um and so so i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is like the the real failure mode is if you select an attribute and people don't value it mm-hmm. that's a fail now, if you pick an attribute that people value, but this other attribute they value a little bit more, so what? You still succeed.
0: Yeah. So
1: that type of failure is not that big a deal. It may not matter at all. But then, so com- yeah, you really are just trying to see like they will pay for X. I don't really care if it's possible, theoretically, they would pay even more for Y. Like, I mean, I would prefer to find that one, obviously. But like the main thing is I find the X that they will pay for that I can also deliver on as whatever my organization is that i can actually do that too that's what i need to find that's already very hard without saying but is it the best one are you sure like oh man that's it was already hard enough to find the one
0: <laughs> so i'll rephrase to see if i got it right could, could you correct me you're saying if you're among, if you're between a couple of things that might be right so We've cleared out that failure means picking out something that isn't valued by customers. But if you're brooding, if you're thinking too much about, is it this one or this one? That doesn't really matter that much because you just need to get one right. Like one, one is hard right. enough anyway. So
1: one's hard enough. So if you really are flipping a coin again, um, maybe you go back to, well, which one do you think you can execute on the best? Because that's going to matter. Either in terms of skill or experience or how easy it is to do, Um, or passion, we can go back to that. Like you could say, look, people, and, and this is obviously true, in website hosting, since what we do, so good example for me, in website hosting, people care about performance. They want the site to be fast and they care about security. Which one's more? Maybe it doesn't matter. You can probably build a great hosting business being very secure and you can probably build a great hosting business being fast. So, which, so that's probably both fine. Which one's more? I don't even know if that's an answerable question anyway, because both of them are high, you know, like both are fine, uh, like big things people care about. So, which one can you do better? Maybe that's what you should uh, do. Or, oh, I just love security. I love that all of the tools and I love the universe and I love those weird gray hat channels to be in. I like, I, I love it. Like, okay, then pick security and go kill it blow people away on the phone with your crazy knowledge of all the things like that sounds pretty good so again like like um distinguishing number one and number two probably less important execution you know is more important but you but it is good to first by start by killing half the things in the list based on your ability to execute
0: you might have touched upon this before did you mention or am i making it up that you tend to be more of an analytical person than a heads down i'll just do and i'll think after 360 being who brought it to this question. Again. I guess I would say
1: that when it comes to individual, when it comes to details like a feature or a homepage, I tend to just dive in and do it. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to things like strategy, I definitely am analytical and try to have a process and 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 get to what I think is the best answer that I can, I can get to, let's just say, right? My best work, <laughs> my best attempt at the answer. Uh, so like... I guess it depends on whether it's kind of the big picture stuff. I want time and and I want to be analytical, use frameworks and stuff like that versus, oh, let's just get this feature out and go see uh, rather than trying to analyze it first.
0: Is that a good pace or is it something you want to work on? A good pace for yeah, yourself? Yeah, I think that actually
1: is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like the bigger and long-term and more impactful, the more it is useful to spend time to try to get it more right. And we all know like half of it will be right, and half won't. We all know that. But it's still worth the time thinking through because then, when some of it isn't right, you've got your whole system like, okay, what did I miss? What assumption was wrong? What else would then need to change? Like you're all set, even when you're wrong, you're all set for dealing with it. That's good. Um, also, like it's hard to change a strategy quickly, especially with a lot of people. Um, it's hard to change a strategy quickly, so it's worth spending some time to try to get it as close to right as possible. Whereas with the, the, the more narrow you go to one one you know sprint story or one feature, it's like so oh, every second we spend even talking about it, we could be just doing it and find out. Worst okay. case is we rip it out, but this is all a waste of time. So like as you zoom in to me, like all the the rubbing hands and thinking and arguing, like oh my god, what are you even doing? Just do it. <laughs> like we'll find out next week after you ship it. Like whatever, <laughs> right? So so uh, there's a lot of advice about this kind of stuff, right? Like there's the one way door, two way door stuff, you know. So there's there's things like that. You know, pricing is harder to undo strategy when there's a lot of people behind it, it's harder to undo. And so you want to take a little more time with it, but things are easy to undo or that can be done quickly. Like why are you wasting your time, you know, analyzing when you could just find out empirically.
0: And back to the discussion about getting one thing right is hard enough. So don't brood over that. Does competition, we're getting to a, it depends possible answer. Sorry, do you need to go anytime soon? No, I'm good. Uh, uh back to that thing and we're getting close to possibly it depends what does does competition play any role in this because like wh- uh, is it a risk to think what if i choose that one thing which my competition is going to do the same mm-hmm. it's a what if but maybe you see look between fast and secure maybe you, you look and say i'm drawn to fast but tell you what i look at my competition and i got stronger that they're already going for fast not mm-hmm. for secure yeah would you take that into account let's say wp engine because you can't speak for everybody and
1: yeah so so, um yeah competition competitive strategy really fun topic um and of course the answer can be it depends because but but what does it depend on so it can depend on things like is this a brand new market where there are competitors but like no one's the winner and everyone's trying to figure it out if that's the case, you probably have a lot of options, including copying something someone else does. Like a lot of things are still possible. Um, it may be wise to pick a niche other people are not in, um, but uh, um, but you probably can succeed in other, you know even copying because no one's winning anyway uh, yet. On the other hand, you could have a, a as as the space we're now in is is a mature market. Lots of competitors they're well-established. No one's going out of business tomorrow. Like it's not churning like that. Brands and teams are pretty well set. It'd be hard for anyone to turn the ship too much. So if you're a new entrant there, what do you do? Like, so if you're a new entrant in search in, in web search, yeah, you, you, of course, of course, like that's almost impossible, and you can't say I'm going to ignore Google and just do my thing. Like you can't ignore Google in web search. That's We're not one of that. your choices, <laughs> you know. And, and so you have to consider that and ask, what am I doing? And the answer for DuckDuckGo and that other one is security and privacy, right? And you know, is that a good idea or not? I don't know, but like at least it's an, an answer because Google certainly is not uh, private, so and and or, you know doesn't respect your privacy and isn't going to. So another factor in competitive analysis is to ask what is the key values and business model of the competitor? Because it's it's basically impossible for them to change that. So in the case of Google, they can't suddenly not use all your data for ads. So so a competitor that says we won't use your data, that's good because Google's not going to answer that. Now, will people do it or not? Can you reach them? Well, I don't know. Of course it's hard, no kidding. <laughs> but, but, but at least Google can't react to you. That's pretty nice. Um, there's a um, the reverse of that where, where it's a really bad idea is where the company makes its money in a certain way. And then in a totally different way, they play in that area, they invest money, but they, they don't need to make money there. That's really hard to compete against. So for example, Google makes Chrome. They're never going to charge for Chrome because they need it for their data. I don't know, whatever stuff. They're never going to charge for Chrome. They want the web to be as good as possible so that people search the web. So... For you to make your own browser, the problem is Google not only will invest billions of dollars a year in it, they don't even have to monetize it, but you do. So what the hell are you going to do about that? The answer is like, I don't know. (laughs) It's too hard. So at least in search, they're locked into their business model. So there might be a wedge. In Chrome, they're not locked into anything. They don't have to have a return. Yet they're spending billions of dollars. Good luck. So that's a that's the negative or the worst case where it's like, ooh, and once again, you have to consider that you can't just ignore that and say, I'm just gonna make a good browser. Like that, that's not that, that that's not an okay thing to just ignore. So, like who are the players? What are their incentives? What is their business model? What are they locked into? Because if you can do something that of course the customers value, but if you can do something that they cannot do because it violates their business model, that's pretty good. Um, so I, I would consider competition, those are a few things I would I would consider. Um, if the market gets you might say that, that a mid maturity market's the hardest because the there's a lot of players they're good at it and they're not dumb yet <laughs> so that's tough but it's nice if the market is brand new because then it's all up for grabs and it's nice if the market is super old because then a lot of the products suck probably right and and those companies are never going to fix that problem and so here here you come now you may have trouble ripping stuff out of people's hands because you know, Maybe they're used to the suck, but it's still pretty good. So old market that's that could be nice. Mid level market though, or mid aged market, it might be like, oh man, these companies are all still pretty smart, and they're getting funding still, and they have you know good people still work there, and they still have good ideas, and they have good brands, and there's enough of them that there's not an obvious niche. Like ew, that that might now again, this is not of course I would never say like so that's the rule, never go there, and I'm I'm obviously not saying that. Just saying, what what would I be? Looking for? What would I want to be aware beware of? Uh, you know, um, those are kind of the th- things I would think about. Uh,
0: part of your speech earlier reminded me of what uh, Jason Fried talking about 37 signals. And I was thinking as well when he said, you said Chrome, but I thought you were going to say Gmail. And I was thinking, what about hey.com? Uh, so uh, getting close to Jason Fried now, he said something like in the early days of Basecamp. and perhaps even in the last few years, maybe even today, we don't know. He said something like, competition to us was nothing. Competition to us was email. Like, it was nothing in the sense that people didn't know something like Basecamp existed. And you could say today, more and more people get to know about Asana, Trello, you name it, ClickUp, etc., etc. So is, is that the sort of thing, is that a sort of moment in the market you're, you're mentioning? When you're saying there's no dominant player, where... The consumers perhaps are not aware of the solution or that sort of thing when you say there's, it's a young market and there's no dominant force yet?
1: Well, I mean, to me, um, I mean, people define market differently. To me, a market is a um, set of companies or a set of products anyway that are competing for the same dollars from certain set of customers, typically because mm-hmm. they're solving a similar kind of pain point. But anyway, like either like a customer in this mar- is either not participating in the market cause they don't want the product. They don't have the pain or I don't know. They don- they're not aware that they have the pain, whatever. But as soon as they enter the market, they're like, we're going to buy something to do X. <laughs> um, then they're going to pick somebody. So to me, that's the, that's the market. So, right. um, so for, for Basecamp, it's project management. There, of course, there's a lot of project management competitors. And email is not one of them, actually, because no one does project management in email. That's email is for communication. So project management could be, you know, Microsoft used to make tools. Everyone hates the Gantt chart. You know, like anything that makes a Gantt chart is probably a competitor. Um, there's plenty of things. Now they're like, yeah, but um, ours is more accessible. It's easier. It's more friendly. It doesn't feel so bad. doesn't feel as much like project management. It keeps everyone on the same page. Maybe it reduces emails or makes them more pleasant. Yeah, exactly. It's better project management. G- good. Project management is a very old uh, industry. It's been around for at least hundreds of years. You could argue thousands of years. So, great. Sounds like a good, solid thing that everyone's going to need forever. And so, if you have a view of a niche uh, thing in there, there's a lot of niche project management for verticals, like construction. You know, project management. There's. It's, and so forth, right? There's a, there's a lot of verticals because it's so big. There's a lot of niches and spaces to play. Awesome. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, you can define the market different ways. It's true. So in other words, if you say Mar market is all communication stuff, and it's like, I don't know, it's then it's stupid big and super complicated, but I'm not sure that's the right you know way to look at it. Um, uh, it's probably better to zoom in a little bit further. Now, of course, if you zoom in too far, then you say, oh, well, since we have this very special niche, there is no market because no one does this. It's like, well, but that's not true because someone who has the pain of something like project management is not picking between you and nothing. Those aren't the two choices. Clearly, there's other project management that not only could they pick, they have already picked, they are doing. Some people use SharePoint for that. And you may say, but that's horrible. Fine, but it's part of the market. You may have a good reason why yours is better. Great. That's your argument then, <laughs> but it's in the market. If it's an alternative that they pick, you know? So I mean, it's old, but I go back to Michael Porter's, you know, five forces and that kind of competitive analysis. I think it's actually one of those books where it's, it's great because it's old and still incredibly valid. Like you read that thing. And I mean, the whole book, not just the five, Forces. that's just chapter one, literally just chapter one is the five forces. There's a whole other rest of the book and it's fantastic. It's really good. And you read it and you're just like, Oh my God. I can apply all this right away. Okay, some of this is about manufacturing. I'll ignore that part because it's just not me. But like, this is so relevant. And you look at the copyright data, and it's 1973, and you're like, what? Yeah, well, if it's that valid today and it's that old, it must be some kind of really good ground truth or it wouldn't survive. <laughs> like, it wouldn't survive like that. So like, I go back to even that um, and say, like, that's a good way to think about competitive dynamics, competitive strategy. Um, even then, um, for example, he talks about how. The psychology of the CEO or founders of your competitors matters too. You often forget and you're just like, here's the, here's the business model, here's geography, et cetera. And you forget that the CEO and or the founders um, often create the behavior of the company, whether it's rational or not. He saw this in the 70s. And, and the reason I say that is, is you 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 know you kind of associate that with like, oh, Mark Zuckerberg is CEO, founder and does whatever he wants. No one can do anything about it. And that's new, mm. right? Mm-mm. As opposed to, but Jack Welch also had like certain ideas and you can use that because he's going to be consistent now that he's said that we're going to be number one or two in every market or leave. Then you're like, oh, good. That means they're going to leave our market. You can use that. Even though that's not about their business, it's about, Jack Welch, right? Or, or um, family-owned businesses. The family's doing X because that's what we do. Oh, okay. Well, we can use that fact. Mm-hmm. Easy to forget that the psychology of the founder or CEO matters. He's calling that out in chapter three already, or two, or whatever it is. You know. So it's like, oh my gosh, this is just really, this is good stuff. So I, I would, I mean, I would recommend that as a, a general, you know, answer to the question of, of competitive analysis. But those are some of the things I would think about.
0: Yeah, it makes me think of what you just said, of it's a different level of abstraction, but with Google or a company and their core values, like we're a family, that's what we do. Or yeah. as a founder, this is what I do. And you can look into their psychology. Uh, yeah. You said something earlier, uh, when you were talking about big market, you said these companies are not dumb yet. Is there like a dumbening phase <laughs> <face laughs> in the spectrum of... Well,
1: a- d- dumb is probably the, the, probably the wrong word maybe not, um, you know, there, there, there's such a thing as like all the people that know, you know, that are innovative or creative or, or whatever are gone, it's possible. Um, more likely they're simply locked into things that work really well. Like the reason why, you know, that company and that they have billions in revenue is because they're doing something really well. Like, so how dumb is that? <laughs> you know? um, I remember like even, now Microsoft has had this nice resurgence with Azure and, and new, new leadership and so forth. But let's let's rewind like five or even 10 years ago before that happened. I mean, yeah. everyone's like, oh, Microsoft's so dumb. They missed the cloud. They screwed up the phone. They didn't, you know, they're just, they're, they're bad at open source. Linux is lapping them. Like, they're just dumb. And it's like, yeah, they're so dumb that even then they were generating $60 million a day in pro- cash profit. So Jeez, what idiots! <laughs> you know, like, I want to be idiot. okay. <laughs> so, it dumb wouldn't be the right word, uh, right? And but, um, but locked into certain things that work well is a really good way to think of it, because, well, if this is your gross margin and this is your revenue and this, and you're global and you're this and you're that and and, and in, in Microsoft's case, a billion people depend on the software working in a certain way and get all bent out of shape if you change anything. And if 0.01% of them want to call tech support, then that's like a hundred thousand phone calls in a day, right? Like you you put all the scale and stuff in place and you're like, wow, they're locked in because of success, by the way, not because of they're dumb. (laughs) Like there's nobody smart enough to make like drastic pivots to how windows works. Yeah. That's not a matter of being smart or dumb. You can't do that to a billion people. Sorry, not an option, right? Like it's not a matter of they're dumb. They're very successful. So they're at scale. So certain things come with that, like ridiculous amounts of profit and <laughs> an inability to make changes. So, so rather than they're dumb, you could say, what are they locked into? Their business model works like this. Their sales channels work like that. Um, the promises they make to customers are like this. Uh, the scale means they can't make certain kinds of uh, pivots quickly. What is it that they're locked into? Not because they're dumb, but because they're successful actually in its scale. What what are they locked into? Because as a, as a little company, we're not obviously locked into that. And so if we go do the opposite or, or you know, the opposite, but, you know, because something that they can't because of that um, then we're smart. So, um, and that's just finding a niche that, that, that uh, you know, that yeah it's 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 it's, that that's what finding a niche means i think so i think that is wise to do
0: very good segue into this next topic i wanted to bring up of you've sold two companies and you're at your third one i believe it, it would be safe to assume that at one point stuff within a company becomes kind of messy and i guess we're fretting to that getting close to that uh, discussion about maybe it's burnout maybe whatever but things mm. at a certain point gets messy whether it's microsoft what you said or maybe even before selling a company or halfway through just with time stuff becomes messy mm. you need to uh, perhaps come up and with an axe metaphorical axe, and cut and slash shit that isn't working or just untangle stuff do you know uh the concept of the the great filter that thing in astronomy that sort of stuff oh yeah
1: like is, is it that civilizations get to a certain uh, uh amount of development and then kill themselves or otherwise can't sustain whatever's going on and that's why we don't see aliens
0: yeah and th- th- they pass through filters and i've just seen this animation at one point where it's literally a bunch of circles and it's a filter and some of them stop but so out of 12 six survive and then three survive through another filter so um i kind of sometimes when i'm lucky enough to pass a filter and perhaps a bit arrogant but i I look left and right and i say i i kind of metaphorically obviously i say oh okay this is a moment where Mm. somebody said no 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 i started this business to uh do x and they kind of made a lifestyle business but as long as you're aware of that, nothing wrong with it, but if you shake your fist at God and you're saying, why am I not making a business, but you've kind of indirectly decided to stick at doing design, you're not Mm -hmm. passing that filter, so you're kind of banging your head against the wall. So on Mm -hmm. my good days, I sometimes look and I say, oh, okay, this is a moment where I could have really messed up and for whatever reason, I didn't. (laughs) And then I start thinking, what other filters am I not passing? But um, one of the filters I'm seeing where companies are not really passing. It is this moment where with the burden of time, there's a lot of mess in the company, whether it's yeah. a code base, whether it's yeah. 17 products that don't have any cohesive strategy, right. whether it's people, whether it's whatever right. yeah. you need to come and cut and slash. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you've done that. Let me know if, if I'm incor if I'm wrong. Sure. I mean, we haven't had I'll,
1: layoffs, but yeah, I know
0: what you mean. Uh, yeah. Okay. I mean, maybe it's even people. Yeah. But, um, it just comes messy and if you leave it for too long i'm supposing that's one of the reasons of possible burnout you're just like ah it's just better to burn it all and start from the ground up or start (laughs) another company because i'm a cereal maker um how uh, have you done it and successfully do you have anything to tell people when when they have to do that
1: oh sure um Certainly one thing you have to ask yourself is, do, do I want to do that? And I mean, you don't want to in the sense of like, I mean, it's not work you want to do, right? But I mean, do you want to um, suck it up and do it anyway, I guess is what I'm saying. Hmm. Because because at some point, your role as the leader of an organization isn't just like it isn't to do the innovation and do all the fun stuff while everyone else does the stuff that's not fun, like cleaning up. And so once it gets to the point, like you're saying where, Hey, there's some difficult cleanup that needs to happen. Then you have to decide whether you want to be a leader of an organization or not. And you can say, well, but I don't want to, and I shouldn't have to and whatever. And that's fine. Then you should leave because that's what the organization needs. And you're saying, You don't have, you don't either can't or don't want to, that's fine, but everyone else needs it. So you're harming the organization for every day you stay, not doing the things that do need to be done. Now, there's so many ways to that to work. You could stay at the organization, but a different role. And there's someone else who's more of an administrator and a manager than you are. So then they can take over and do that stuff and you can remain an innovator or whatever it is that you are. That could be good. Um, it could be that you need to leave completely because you can't detach yourself from being the CEO. Okay, then you have to leave if you can't manage that. I did manage to do that, right? So, but if you can't manage to do that, then then you need to leave so that so that the organization can get what it deserves and what it what everyone else needs to happen. Um, maybe you leave and keep your shares and you you uh, uh, you know get like dividends. Maybe you leave and sell the company to someone like a sure Swift, um, which is nice because a sure Swift is like founders get paid. So that's good, that's fair. But the comp- the whole point of SureSwift is for the company to thrive afterwards. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Hey, thanks, but you're not the right administrators anymore." Which is probably true. Um, but we can help the existing employees do that or hire or usually and <laughs> hire people to help. So maybe there's some people who they're ready to elevate and in fact the founder was keeping them down by staying and now they can elevate and advance their career and do things that are amazing and that's fantastic for them and maybe there's other gaps where you do need to hire okay fine so wow what a what a terrific thing boundary gets paid people at the organization get a better career and the whole organization thrives that is awesome and sure swift does that all the time how cool now not all sales work that way obviously but like so uh, but, but but um that's the kind of that's the kind of maybe best case scenario of of like, oh yeah, I don't want to be here anymore because I don't want to do that stuff. How can I make this the best for everybody? That's a good example. Um you know, or you can say, no, I look, it may not be my skill set and it won't be my favorite thing, but I do want to be a leader, which means and, a, and a, a real CEO of a real organization and not just of myself. And that means I have to do these things because that's what the bullet points are under CEO of a company with, say, 10 people. 20 people or just a a company, like you're saying, that's part of the bullet points. So if you're willing to do it, do you need a mentor? Do you need an advisor? Uh, Do you need a consultant? Maybe not to come in and tell you to do everything, but maybe on the side, just to give you some advice or some frameworks or some tips. Um, Do you need a network of other people who have gone through that transition so that you can ask them questions of how they did it and how they did Maybe you do need to lay off some people. And so you want to talk to people who have done that before, for example, like maybe you need a little network. Like there's lots of ways to get advice besides a quote unquote coach, um, like a round table of other entrepreneurs. Maybe it's time to do that because they have some things to share this time that you didn't need before, but now you do that'd be good. Um, so, you know, what help do you need? In other words, what tools or help could you get to help you do this thing that you're not good at and don't want to do? (laughs) That'd be a good question. And then you get through it. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully, <laughs> you know, that's fine too. This is obviously a, one of the choices you get to have as a, as a founder or CEO, you get to decide this, which is, I guess, good. That's the control you wanted when you started it, right? No, here it is. <laughs> huh. um, but you do have to say like, yeah, it's fine that you said, I want to do this. I want to do that. That's fine. But now that there's other people here, it's not just you. you have to consider all of that or like, I don't know what you're doing at that point. It's so selfish at that point. I'm, I'm not sure what to say. Right. So you could sort of say it's like, well, I had this kid and I had this idea that the kid would be really good at the violin And uh, it turns out they don't want to play an instrument and they're good at dancing. and are you gonna do what are you gonna do about that? Like hopefully help them be good at dancing And if you're not a very very good at dancing because you went to, you know because you played an instrument, you might need to get them a dance teacher. You know, like uh, that's a pretty bad analogy. But the point is like you don't necessarily get to decide how everything unfolds. And, and I think anyone who's doing a bootstrap company now as a founder knows, oh, you don't control very much at all. You don't control what the customers do. You don't controlly control how employees feel you don't like there's a lot that's not in your control. So I'm sure you've given up that idea a long time ago that you're in control of a lot of this. Okay, so, so so again, like what does the organization need really? And, and are you going to deliver that? If yes, great, what tools and help do you need? If no, hey, then what should this look like? Um, in my case, it was fantastic to hire a CEO that was way, like 10 times a better CEO for what we needed then um, and now. Like that was now seven, eight years ago and it was right then and it's still right. Just everyone at the company would tell you that was the right move. Everyone. There's not a single person that would have told you, like, that would say otherwise. So, you know, this is all possible. Um, It doesn't always go well. We all know that, but it can go well. And then it's amazing. You burning out and not doing what needs to be done is certainly not things going well either. So, just to put in perspective what the choices are one is let everything burn. Not a great choice. I mean, it is a choice, but like, yeah <laughs> you know risking taking a bet on other things like but that could go bad too oh i know but if you don't do anything it will definitely be bad so let's just try it yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what to do like software is easier because you can say things like well we're just not going to have features for six months and we're going to clean things up and that'd be hard to work through but like you can you can just make that decision people are of course the hardest thing um Often it's like a person who's been around a long time. Company's outgrown them. Maybe just like we were just saying, except it's about somebody else. It could be employee number one or a co-founder or whatever, or someone that you know people that someone that people like, but you know they should not be here. And So that's going to be hard. Um, um, or a whole team that's you know even even you know that 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 starts feeling really bad. And I mean, again, we could talk about two hours about this kind of thing. It's it's, it's obviously uh, difficult, but there's a lot of good ways to try to navigate it. Um, ultimately you have to think about, of course, the person people involved and try to do right by them. And they may or may not see it that way, but you need to put your head on the pillow, knowing that you really have treated them as best you can. Um, Heather again, mentor and the CEO, she has a great phrase for this, which is, um, general patent on the decision, mother Teresa on the exit. It's perfect, right? Just you got to make the decision if that's right. And, but then from then on, it's how can we do best by them and how can we be generous and so forth like that? Again, they may not see it that way, but at least you'll know that you have, you made the decision that had to happen for the organization, whether they like it or not, and you have been generous with them, whether they appreciate it or not. And that's, that's roughly what you can do. You also can't forget everyone else at the org. What, what do they see? How do they perceive it? Will they think this was fair? Will they think you were generous? Will they think everything's fine or that the sky is falling after this? How are you communicating with the rest of the people is vital. And often there's a lot of secrets only because it's private, you know, private to someone else that you can't tell them because that's violating someone else's privacy. It's just not appropriate. I say secrets, but I mean in a way that's respecting someone's privacy. And so how is it that you communicate to the rest of the organization and without violating that is very important Um, because they're all looking and watching how is this, what's happening here? Now, of course, if someone really needs to go, usually a lot of other people agree. And so a lot of people will already be like, what took you so long? So that's the good side of that. But if it's more like, oh man, that's not what people will say. We just simply failed at this product. And oh my gosh. Um, And again, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's probably a lot of advice out there about that. But again, being honest about things is, is usually the best policy. Um, But you know, people is definitely the toughest thing to have to, um, have to uh, you know reorganize in a serious way
0: that makes a lot of sense and i think that was very densely packed i want to mention that i've read before for your blog general Patton with the decision mother teresa on the exit and uh, just so you know you and heather it did it did come up to my mind when i was in one of these decisions and uh, yeah, thanks to you and Heather, some uh, less pain was uh, made in this universe thanks to a couple of words on a, on a blog post. That's good. Uh, that's good. <laughs> so so thank you for that. Um, I also asked people you've seen that you've been kind enough to retweet it, even though you didn't have to. Uh, asking people, what should I should ask you. Uh, we've covered some of them, but somebody's saying I've sent over 300 cold emails to a target market of agency owners, directors, etc., etc." trying to emulate the WP engine validation strategy. So mm-hmm. for people who don't know this, Jason picked 40 people out of them, 38 people replied. And, uh, you were, you were asking for their time, but you were offering to pay their hourly rate or maybe even more in a very respectful manner, respectful of their time. And, um, uh, 30 people even agreed to pay 50 bucks for WP Engine as a pre-order sort of thing. Uh, this person, Max is asking, they're a busy bunch and I've only booked six calls, so remember after 300, using the same email format Jason described at MicroConf 2013. Does mm-hmm. this still work in 2021? Question mark. Yeah,
1: so short answer, I don't know because I haven't tried it in a while, but I can <laughs> believe that it may not. Um, I can believe that, so first of all, I used InMail and LinkedIn. But again you know 10 11 years ago that probably reaches more people than it would, would today a lot of people you know kind of given up on, on LinkedIn or that or, or get so much spam in, in mail that like don't you know, look at it and it just assume it's spam and actually sending emails definitely will get caught as spam so you know an email like, uh, I mean if you got you know fifth to open it at all that would be something so already your hit rates gonna go way down Um but also I can believe people don't have the time or, you know, 10 years ago, it was really cool to have a startup. Now it's like, everyone has one. It's still kind of cool, but like, Oh, it's kind of also over it a little. So to be asked to, to be interviewed by someone making a startup, like that's maybe exciting 10 years ago compared to today. Also even with COVID, like, I don't know, like an extra hour. I kind of need that to lay down. <laughs> right? I kind of feel like that's a lot of people's thoughts at this point. As opposed, you know, as opposed to yeah, I would love to spend an extra hour talking to somebody about whatever. Um, now, that, again, all speculation because as I say, I don't know because I haven't tried it in a while. But uh, I can totally believe that it doesn't work anymore. Just like my example of AdWords, right? Oh, that's great that it worked then. It's not really that interesting because you certainly cannot reproduce it. So you know maybe there's some generic lesson about try something different because something different may be noticeable but like not that not that good of advice it's not that specific so okay great you know
0: <laughs> cool uh one thing i like about your story is and this draws back to what we started with uh, one thing i like is that uh you've kind of had your cake in 82 so With WP Engine, you've started slow. You've started with what seems to me like, okay, I'm going to start this thing. We're not going to swing for the fences. Or, you know, who knows? I guess you always have that in the back of your mind as an entrepreneur. It might happen. But didn't expect it, that's for sure. Right. And you went slow and bootstrap. And then you went fast. Then you said, okay, this is actually way deeper. The rabbit hole goes way deeper than I thought. Let's swing for the fences. Right. At the same time, you didn't have to go to vcs to target market and the all the word metaphors because in in the beginning at least uh, for a possible seed although maybe you could have but even then i can imagine you saying okay guys there's this thing wordpress which i'm sure you haven't heard of and it's great and i don't think that would have would have impressed many people Mm -hmm. and um even to wordpress people like wordpress had a bad reputation yeah so you In a sense, you had the card stacked against you, but you went slow and it worked, and then you went fast and it worked. So you've been on both sides of the fence. Yeah,
1: I guess the way I'd put it is, we went and proved it, and then when we say give money, to what? To something that's already working. Mm -hmm. So you may think WordPress is nothing, but then how do you explain our numbers? How do you explain this market analysis that shows how much of the market it is? How do you explain how successful we already are if this is a bad idea. So, you know, growth answers all questions is, is one of the (laughs) rules of investment. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, we, we face different kinds of questions like, well, how will you ever be not just a host with low margins? Um, if you offer great tech support, how will that also never, you know, how will you crawl out of low margins? So those kind of questions, um, as opposed to, will this grow? We already proved yes. If we can do it, like you know, ourselves um, and the Unity economics are good. Obviously, putting more money on that fire. And again, we weren't raising a zillion dollars at first. It was like this is just enough money that's proportional to how big we are, proportional to what we think we can spend it on. We're growing. Like it's hard. To, it's hard for that initial investment not to pay off. Now, then next year we raise a little more, and then we raise a lot more in two years. You know, et cetera. Like as you prove more and more, then of course it makes sense to. Raise more if you know it, if you know what you're going to do with it, um, but it, it, it's the proof first. That's it. Like if it was just exactly as you say, if it was just I have this idea, we're going to take this open source project which has a bad reputation, and the people who do use it tend to not spend any money, and we don't own the open source project either, and we're going to build a company on it. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> that's a t- very not investable pitch. <laughs> And that thing about not owning the project is a big deal. Cause if you look at like what are the open source companies, because you know, investors nowadays investors have a little bit broader view, but um, especially then, what is your IP? What is your unique IP? And even now that, that is what people say, but still, open source is like, oh, I guess we don't have any because it's open. <laughs> Oops, like you don't have any IP, then how do you how will you not have a million competitors that do the same? And you don't even control the project, like at least my my SQL A B. Control the project, and Cloudera is from those founders, and uh, you know, and you just Databricks is from those founders, and you just go down the line, and like, oh, all these successful open source companies, although none of them existed then, so I couldn't use them as examples. But even today, you'd say, yeah, but they all were from the founders of the open source project. You don't, you don't have that though. So what's your deal? You know, even worse, another strike against us. So the answer was, it's, there's no way we could have raised money at first on the idea. No way. So the answer had to be. Well, first of all, my goal wasn't to raise money anyway, but in retrospect, the answer was go show that this is in fact a good business and then you can go raise money on on a good business. And then, well, what about this? It's like, well, yes, those are still risk points, but now we're down to like, this is a growing company. These are the risk points. Do you want to accept these risks? Which I think is a great way to, as I said earlier, to pitch any business is just be really honest about the good things and honest about the risks. And say like, here's the bucket. That you can invest in with this upside and these good things and these risks are you, are, are you ready to come on this with me and by the way i expect you investor to help me with those risks if you don't want to help me with those risks then like we shouldn't do this so that's what that's what i'm faced with so you know
0: i don't want to uh, ask you to bring up your pitch or pitches from years ago but that question sounded interesting if you may share some what was your or your take or maybe it's even clear now in retrospect that question of how are you going to get besides the margins of just hosting cuz okay, Datwapinj isn't just hosting but isn't hosting the one of the biggest parts of it
1: well it, back then especially cuz back then we hadn't built other products we hadn't shown other things so back then it is true that we were just hosting right um so that that had to be one of the things that we were like well look there's different products we could build here's here's three examples we should like try one of them Um, but here's examples of, this is what it would look like to build products on top of quote unquote, just hosting. And also as we scale, here's how the quote unquote, just hosting actually can have good margins too. Mm -hmm. Now, both of those have to be proved out, but I mean, early in the company, everything has to be proved out. And so the question is, do you have a path? And I say path instead of plan like today we have a plan because with a thousand people, you can't just like vaguely have a notion, like you need to make a plan so you can hire people and whatever, uh, you know but yeah i like i i mean you could say a plan but i think you know early on or when or just when things are small plan is kind of a rough word it's a little too strong but plausible path we could do one of these here are some plausible ideas already so among them we'll probably find one that's better that's a path rather than a plan or a uh, look we have here's the rough math of how the cost scale what will actually happen we'll see at the time there was no such thing as kubernetes or containers so even if I wanted to, I could not have made the argument that there'll be this magical container thing and that will help with costs. It does turn out that's true, but I, I wouldn't even know to say that then. But do I have some plausible way? So for example, you could say, look right now, um, we only use, let's say 20% of the CPUs that we pay for because our architecture is such that it's not very balanced. So if we were you know, once we're further along, we there's cost savings and us just being mm. smarter operationally. We're just not investing in that right now. We're investing in growth, and by the way, that's working. That's a pretty good pitch. Again, you may or may not accept it as an investor. That's fine. But there's a, that's a pl- what I just said is not a plan. I didn't say all right in six months we're going to do this. I didn't even say that. I, it's just like look, the numbers are such that there's probably an opportunity there. It's sort of like it's maybe apocryphal, but it's sort of like how the old Elon Musk story of This battery technology can't work because even back of the envelope, it's only this, but this other battery technology could because back of the envelope that now we don't know exactly how we're going to do it, but like, that's why there's an opportunity here and not there. So with that kind of mentality of like, look, I can show you these numbers of how there's opportunity there. No, I don't have a plan set, but like, like it's clearly there's optimization to be made and that will fix it. So we'll, we'll get to that whenever we think it's right. And right now we think growth that's a pretty good, you know, there's a plausibility there. It's not zero data. There's a, there's a rationale, even though there's not a plan, that's pretty good.
0: So it's that
1: uh, we're almost at the half hour here, which I do need to go for, but uh, this has been a, a, uh, this has been really fun.
0: I I appreciate that. And thank you for um, I promise I'll close in a minute or less. Thank you for the transparency and the truth seeking. I can read between the lines of, uh what you're doing what you're writing what you're saying now and that's what it strikes me as you're you're really working hard to find the 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 truth Part uh, pardon me for not time boxing this but i usually go as far as the guests go so uh, <laughs> uh, i have to tell you, you're one of the you're up there in the top in terms of stamina um <laughs> Good, <right. laughs> really happy you've enjoyed this and i think many many people are going to find this super super helpful so thanks Great. and uh looking forward to doing it again if you are down to come again on the on the I show mean,
1: we had several topics where we said it could be a
0: whole show so there you go <laughs> there we go there we go segue into the into the next one thanks very much jason and please keep doing what you're doing
1: thank you this is fine
0: cool appreciate it bye